Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Palmal Menthol 100s of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, aka getting drunk at the local metal bar and complaining about Dimmu Borger 20 years past its last relevancy. And I am the Black Metal Guy, aka getting all misty-eyed scrolling through Danny Filth's lovely photos of his weekend out in London with his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, so we got, we got the, the two main targets of ire. Of uh, when we were growing up. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. It's, um, yeah, the trench coat wearing uh, bet noirs of trench coat black metal. Um, well, it's funny because Cradle of Filth has been rehabilitated. Dimmu Borger has not, though. <laughs> Dude, actually, that, I was thinking about that today. Um, why do you think that is? I think that... I, I, I think that there's distinct phases of Cradle of Filth's career. And it's very easy to enjoy certain phases and to come back to them and still love them. Dimmu Borger's career trajectory was a little bit flatter. There's not really super distinct, like, uh, second, like I mean, flat, you know, but like downward slope. <laughs> flat, but downward slope. But it's, a, it's all stylistically kind of revolving around the same ideas. I mean, Cradle of Filth is too, but there's like differences in riffing styles from era to era. Demi is always kind of the same thing, and it just hasn't aged well. I think that's really all it comes down to. Yeah, I was thinking the other thing is like, right, we used to, everyone used to perceive Cradle of Filth as like peak inauthentic. Now anyone who gets it knows that, okay, it's, there's this sphere called mainstream stuff that's not competing with black metal stuff, and, or like, like underground, and Cradle of Filth is in that and authentic for that, and... I was thinking that part of it is that they're sort of like all their themes and presentation are sort of like appropriate to that sphere. Like, well, also you, all you your... want your mainstream black metal band to be like shock rock, hot goth chick, sort of uh, crazy stage show, uh, flamboyant keyboard melodies, whatever. Whereas I feel like Dimmu Borgir is actually has always actually tried to capitalize on the Norwegian black metal image. That's true. And then maybe something nudging Cradle of Filth along is the fact that all of its like thematic ideas and a lot of its melodic ideas are now just being recreated by raw tape black guys. Now. Yes. <laughs> you know, and the other thing, right, is that Cradle of Filth has some, uh, you know, they were listening to the Norwegian bands, but they're also tapped into that whole British heavy metal thing. Which mm-hmm. is just like, you know, a distinct musical lineage and, you know, Venom had their hair blown back by fans. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it fits the conceit of the aisle. Um, real quick, before we jump into the Terminus Co-Prosperity Sphere for some news from you, I have to say, well, you know, uh, at the time of this recording... Uh, we were recording this on June 15th. Uh, four days past was the 10th anniversary of the departure of Seth Putnam from this mortal coil. Uh, my husband do forever calling me gay from hell right now. Uh, and I'd <laughs> like to take just five seconds of silence so that we can listen to the entirety of Anal Cunt's I Like It When You Die compressed down to five seconds. All right, thank you very much. That was all that I needed. <laughs> Can we drink a toast, Seth? Absolutely. I'll, I'll click my bottle on the mic. Cheers. 
All right. <laughs> Seth, you're gay. Seth, you're gay. All right, so. On to bigger and better things. What do you got, man? <laughs> well, uh, we've got uh, a, uh, yeah, we got a band to check out for the news segment. I uh, ran into an, an old bandmate of mine uh, the other night, and he, uh, I haven't seen him in a long time, and he uh, told me he's uh, playing death metal now. And I was like, uh, okay, cool, let's hear it. Uh, so this is uh, the band Hollowed Body, not Hollow Body, um, with Condemnation of the Empty Flesh. And this is their demo that is actually an EP, or their EP that is actually a demo. It has three songs. Um <laughs> And uh, we're going to check out, and I, I, I listened through the whole thing, and uh, I quite like it, but I want to hear from the, uh, you know, I, I found, found aspects of it pretty impressive, but I want to hear from the death metal guy <laughs> what he thinks. So let's go to uh, Empire of the Decaying Void. Uh, we're just going to play, it's like four minutes, we're just going to play the whole thing. Yeah, mm. let's do All it. Right. Oh, <laughs> 
What'd you make of it? Uh, I actually really like that a lot. Um, that's awesome. a, a that's a lot of things that I really enjoy. Uh, first couple minutes remind me a ton, actually, of uh, Prosanctus and Fairy's uh, Noctambulous Jaws and Sepaternal Night. Oh, really? Interesting, yeah. Yeah, because it's it's extrapolating off of sort of incantation riff patterns, but with this, like, more, like, rigid sort of technical edge to it, and plus just the, the crazy increased speed. And then yeah, yeah, w- yeah. when it slows down in the back half, you start to get bigger shades of stuff like Father Befouled or... Um, even like late Morbid Angel, like Gateways to Annihilation era. I thought Morbid some Angel. of the fast riffs were a little bit Morbid Angel too. Once it got like a minute in, some yeah. Of those I mean, like some of the ratchet riffs. You know, yeah, he's like, doing. He's using a lot of those kind of asymptote, uh, like bend and slide techniques. Exactly. Which, exactly. Yeah. Which also, so, so you know, like like the way that Morbid Angel riffs sometimes sound vertical. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, which is yeah. and that kind of technique is something that also filtered into bands like Prosanctus or Father Befouled. So there's there's a, an established lineage that they're drawing off of, but they keep it really exciting and really intense. I mean, there's so many fucking riffs just whirring past you really quickly, but they still manage to keep the big slowdown in the middle really compelling with you know some some kind of varied rhythmic work and stuff. No, I, I really like this. I'm going to check out the whole demo, and I, I want to hear more of this. It all sounds like this. Um, in a good oh, way. there you go. Um, extra point <laughs> Extra point for the bells. Um, <laughs> always extra point for the bells, and I love that it, like, you know, it drops the mosh at the last bit of the song. That's very Oh, uh, yeah, I, I knew that that was what the part you were going to be the sucker for. <laughs> well, no, I I really liked, when I first put this on, I loved how fast it was, because it's so different from the kind of uh, either sort of sluggish incantation worship or the kind of maggot stomp, you know, uh, jugga-jugga stuff, right? It's, um mm-hmm. like, it's just fucking fast. It's extreme, and it, you know, it's like, like the best of the early 90s stuff, it's like, you can hear how it's completely steeped in hardcore, but sounds nothing like it. All right, so before we get on to our rundown, uh, we have, uh, you know, the usual housekeeping. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, you want to participate more, follow us on social media, me, the Death Metal Guy, at Facebook, at Terminus Podcast, or the Black Metal Guy on Instagram, at Terminus Extreme Metal. And uh, if you really, really want to get involved in the process, feel free to become a part of the Terminus Black Circle. And the best way to do that is by giving us money on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to all of the Terminus Prime bonus episodes, and $5 and up gets you access to that aforementioned Black Circle, where you can discuss your favorite slam records of yesteryear and the limits of uh, academic art critique. Uh, mixed in with a, just a lot of memes to disguise how little we know what we're talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So for the rundown today, this is this is kind of a weird episode. We don't really have strict um, your records and my records because a lot of these are things that were submitted to us uh, yes. over the past few fin- weeks. Finally, the world submits to us. and we've got uh you know recommendations from friends we've got uh some returning people so uh yeah you just uh take up the first half talk about who we got all right leading off with uh regina mundi 
uh, Queen of the World by Oppress with a period at the end. Um, and Oppress is uh, the project of a guy named O.G., uh, who is a Terminus veteran. He was one of our first submissions last summer, almost a year ago now, uh, with his first, I think, full length. This is, uh, it's sort of, uh, God, it's very difficult to describe, let's just say, eerie, skittering, orthodox, you know, sort of decadent music. I don't know. Um, and, uh, and, uh, nasty stuff. And, um, this is, so yeah, this is EP and we're going to check it out. And then we're going on to, uh, reign of terror as in, uh, uh, R A I N not R E I G N. Um, with witch hunt. Uh, this is a band from Finland who uh, sent this in to us, and they said, we are a death thrash band. Uh, are you interested in reviewing our record? And I said, from Finland? Hell yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so uh, this is definitely an unusual take on what death thrash would sound like. Uh, it's pretty cool. For the back half of the episode, uh, we're going to open up with Lotus of Darkness and their record Sompas Naga. Uh, This is coming uh, as a recommendation from one of our patrons. So if any of you have friends bands that you want to submit, giving us money is a great way to get it to the front of the line for that. (laughs) So Lotus of Darkness is a, a folk black metal band from Thailand. Uh, infusing a lot of the region's traditional folk sounds, not merely in terms of melody, but in structure as well, uh, resulting in a a very interesting, very distinct sort of record from what will probably be one of the more prominent bands in the sort of now burgeoning uh, Thai metal scene. And then wrapping it up, our one non-submission is me revisiting a band that I saw live about 10 years ago. Uh, this is Narbaleth with uh, Summa Cum Nox Arcana out on Folter Records. Uh, saw these guys live at Under the Black Sun, the uh, Berlin Metal Festival. Uh, I think I want to say probably 20, a little bit less than 10 years, maybe 2013, something 24, like that. 13 or 14, yeah. I remember something you like that. about it, yeah. Yeah, so this is a, a black metal band originally from Cuba, now relocated to Spain. And I said, hey... They got a new one coming out. Why the hell not revisit? See what's changed in the intervening period. All right. We're back from uh, bullshitting about war metal album covers off the uh, off the mic to um, talking about Oppress's new record, uh, Regina Mundi. This is an EP following up on the full debut release last summer. Um, and... Uh, you know, Oppress is uh, the project of a guy named OG who runs an organization known only as Cunt Collective. Um, you know, the general sort of aesthetic of this stuff is of that whole scene is it's like unusual black metal and noise and stuff in between. Uh, the names to be sort of as unpleasant and alienating as possible, which uh, given the way that, uh, I don't know, black metal has moved lately towards sort of more for for worse and for better towards a lot of you know melodic stuff um it certainly starts to become its own niche right of a really ugly sort of uh 
uh, degenerate, nasty stuff. So, um, yeah, so this is, you can hear a significant change from the, uh, from the first one. Uh, what do you make of it? Uh, I like this one a lot. I, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this shows OG, um, refining the ideas from the full length a little bit more and getting a little more comfortable with the project's own sound, if that makes sense. Um, for those who missed it last year, his first record, No Pity, was uh, very challenging to describe, as is this one. But I guess we would say that you'd probably agree that the basic foundation is something like orthodox black metal. Would you agree? Yeah, orthodox black metal, but it feels like Debussy and Satie, but in like totally warped and like early Schoenberg and The Killing Joke. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and if you said that about something that didn't sound like this, it would sound very pretentious. But we promise you, that's actually how it sounds. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's uh, uh, OG has a special talent for selecting the absolute worst sounding intervals on guitar <laughs> to generate riffs from. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, it, and yet it's not especially, uh, not over the top abrasive, you know, we're not no, talking no, about no, no. everything being piled with distortion in this sort of like war noise way or anything like that. It's a, it, it's fairly, or just straight. big, big clanging chords in the way of like people, Icelandic bands, Ape India. So, right. Yeah, no. This is this is surprisingly. It's not just weird. like pick five random strings, hold them at the same time, and trim. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, this is surprisingly clear, surprisingly kind of lucid and cutting music, which is uh, something that's commendable and sort of ambitious mm-hmm, about this. Mm-hmm. It, it's very easy to create something that sounds like horrible and dissonant and sort of evil with that technique of just like choose a horrible giant natural chord. And hold on to it for a long time. But that's not what happens here. There's real riffs in this music. Um, In terms of what's changed, there's a huge difference in production here. Um, Yep. Something that we've talked about as being sort of a unique feature to British black metal bands or British metal bands in general is a sort of bulldozer bass tone. Which is Mm. something that really comes out on this record where it wasn't really so much a feature. Of the first yeah, one. we got we got that on the Eisenskur, uh big bass on the white metal too. Uh, yeah, big bass on the white, and I'm, and I'm actually going to bring up white metal a little bit later. Oh, you can you can tell that there's some sort of mysterious skyline hitch for a lot of the Kunt Collective bands. Uh, like well, would, some some of those are like stompy, old school stompy BM. Well, I was actually specifically wondering at this point, and I got a little hint of it on the first record, but now I'm wondering after hearing this one if OG really comes from a sort of like noise and power electronics background. That's, those are consistent with each other. Yeah, that's not to say that this sounds like noise or power electronics, but for instance, that white metal record that we covered, that was a guy doing very idiosyncratic black metal who happened to come from that background. And I'm wondering if it's the same for OG, because even though this is not in any way like an industrial black metal record, there's a creeping touch of sort of old British industrial infused in this music. 
which I think is very interesting. More in mood and texture than in big beats or anything. I can hear that. Like, who, who are you thinking about? I mean, in terms of, like, the shit I know about, like, we always talk about Coil, like, there's definitely, like... Well, I was going to say, I mean, Killing Joke again, uh, but... Oh, then oh, oh just... fair enough, yeah. They're, 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 for sure, they were in... I don't normally group them as industrial, but you could you could hear them as, like, six different genres, so that makes sense. Yes. I've always kind of connected them to a sort of proto-industrial or sort of, like, liminal industrial they, they sound. They were big for the industrial rock bands. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Like, the whole... Them and, no, no, that's totally fair. I just didn't think of it. Yeah, um, and I would argue, yeah. I, I feel like, especially with, like, the, the bass tone and some of the more clanging sort of ringing riffs, I'm, I'm hearing some, like, old Godflesh on this, too. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, so Killing Joke Godflesh. That's a distinct lineage, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's um, its own kind of lineage it, of metallic it, stuff. And so, yeah, this record sounds a lot more... The Godflesh comparison is a lot more plausible on this one than the last one. Um, Certainly, As in, yeah. the last one tended to dwell more on... Uh, emphasize clarity more and dwell more on the higher end of the fretboard uh Mm -hmm. there were a lot of these sort of warped kind of racing highly riffy sort of but kind of fully developed elaborate melodies that really did sound something like fin de siècle late 19th century early 20th century by fin de siècle i'm just saying the pretentious french way of saying turn of the century which refers to like a specific kind of artistic era you know um that sort of like uh, early modernist kind of sounding melodies, right? There are fewer of those here, and or like almost none. Uh, the like before there were these kind of like rounds, you know, guitars. Yeah, guitars chasing after each other and stuff with leads. And there's not much lead playing here at all. It's like all very like riff oriented. And there's a lot more low end, both in terms of like just where he's sitting on the guitar and in terms of the production, which is way chunkier. Like I would say the last one was like, you could instantly trace it back to things like Mayhem and the Orthodox bands, but it would be hard to describe as, it was like the parts of black metal that weren't very metal. Mm-hmm. This is like very metal. Yes, this is this is much more metallic, and I this would is, say it's that it's riffy and heavy. It, you can't really headbang to it, and I would say next step is headbang to it, but it's very metal. <laughs> um, well, maybe I I, I kind of like the the relentlessly non headbangable quality of this music, but <laughs> uh, but I, you did touch on something which is mayhem because I I think the Grand Declaration of War really shows itself to be a a primary influence to this music, especially on this EP. Um, so, so some of the ways that this guy is arranging these sort of arcing, needling riffs reminds me a mm. lot of Blasphemer's work on that, or even going further back to what I think was a big influence on Grand Declaration, which would be Thorns. Oh, for sure. This is somebody who actually likes Thorns. Um, <laughs> there's there's literally dozens of us black men. Yeah, you, you, you have a you have a you have a handshake, um, and I won't yes, explain what that handshake is. Um, but um, <laughs> but yeah, so we better lead them through the samples. You want to roll first? Yeah, sure. I mean, we we've just got a sample. Of, this is a four track EP, but we got a sample a piece off each of the songs. We're just gonna play you half the EP. Yeah, um, yeah, pretty much. Sorry, OG, for spoiling it for everybody. <laughs> Eh, it comes out in a couple days anyway, it's fine. Um, so this is off the opening track, Diadem of Encrusted Discharge. This guy's got a really good, like, aesthetic sense for this sort of, like, mm-hmm. weirdo, prurient, mystical thing that he's doing. He's, that he's, he, yeah. It, it's a kind of way of, um, 
It's a kind of way of referencing other black metal ways of titling things and then just fucking them up. So, I mean, you could almost yeah. imagine this as, like, that Wolves in the Throne Room record. Yeah, yeah, Diadem of 12 Stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Um, so we're just going to listen to the back half of this one. And this is just a good example of uh, how how horrible OG can make a guitar sound. <laughs> mm. That was sick. Yeah. I like how most of it, most of that sample sounds like one riff, but it's actually like, you know, eight different variations on the same riff. Like, I'm wondering if some of these sections were kind of improvised. Like, there's a skeleton of an idea, and he's letting himself just do horrible random intervals. I I thought the back end, I thought there were at least like four reps of one very long riff that had that he was repeating exactly the same. That's possible. I'd have to listen it's, to it a little more Like, closely. it was something... Let me see if I can remember. Something like... Well, I think there's two guitars doing, like, slight chording variations against Probably. each other. That makes sense. Just, yeah, yeah. So he's like, changing it up on each, each of those. Yeah, what's, what, what's the worst... And it, the main riff is bad enough. What are the worst harmonic intervals mm, we can make mm, as well? <laughs> you know, the, the, the funny thing, the thing I thought about the main riff that like I liked is the, you know, there's it's just like one foot. Always a good thing with black metal is like in some sense keeping it very grounded on one level, whatever that level is, and mm-hmm. it's like, okay, so you've got the shifting harmonies there, and it's also a very long riff. It's sophisticated, right? Um, but in some sense, there is just a a a a a a a a riff, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And you know that made me think like, okay, we're thinking killing joke, God flesh. I might as well throw my obligatory discharge reference in here. Mm-hmm. It also just has discharge in the title. But there's a sort of like <laughs> deliberately repetitive old school hammering extreme metal sound mm-hmm. that you would hear in the Norse bands in part because they were listening to. British bands and Swedish Kong punk and whatever, right? Just like, uh, okay, here's the sick riff. We're going to play it eight times. 
Um, and uh, that was not how the last one worked. The last one was a lot more like, I'm a very skilled songwriter. I listen to modern classical music. Let me show you what I can do. Mm-hmm. Well, there's also, this is also, like, I'm not going to say anything on this record is faster than on the last one, but it definitely feels like Yes. Well, that, that's related to what I'm saying. Yeah, it's that feeling of momentum. And actually, mm-hmm. I take it back because you can headbang to the card, basically. Yeah, you can you can kind of headbang to that one. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely shake your claw in the air. <laughs> Good claw shaking moments. Yes. All right. Anything? Anything? You got anything else on this one? Yeah. Go ahead. I like the title of the next one. <laughs> yeah, the next one is Ghislaine. Uh, or Ghislaine, <laughs> depending on how you pronounce it. So, God, somebody had... As soon as he does it, you realize it was inevitable, but of course it was him. <laughs> to, to do a, a, a demented black metal song called Ghislaine? Yeah, oh, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, it's... um, You know, I, I people said it took 11 days till someone put the Bernie Notre Dame on the cover of a black metal record. <laughs> um surprisingly is, long period of time <laughs> yeah which honestly is like at this point really missing the point but like uh <laughs> you know um of course somebody had to do it and he should have right um yeah uh so um so here we are uh this is the first two minutes of galen and uh an ode to the modern countess bathory <laughs> To a degree. Well, the beginning <laughs> was. The beginning was. Really, you you saw that as uh, you saw that as more metal because I that scans to me as like really like bizarro hardcore stuff. 
Well, just in the classic sense of not of just like being heavy. Like oh, I'm okay, just yeah. Define you know, it's like as in more uh more direct and more sort of uh, low-end oriented than the last one, right? The dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I mean, that's basically a noise rock riff, you're right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that is... is a noise rock riff, and that also works with your Godflesh killing joke hypothesis. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this record is taking in influences from all over the place. But you were pointing out in the notes that the, the sort of arpeggiated stuff is extremely killing joke. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I mean, on the last one, he was using killing joke arpeggio stuff to write more fully developed melody type stuff and here, or using that guitar tone, the sort of, uh, eerie reverbed out guitar tone and those intervals to write these kind of skittering tremolades um here that more here that kind of mode of guitar is uh being used way more yeah during the beginning middle of that sample you get the the arpeggios coming in around the power chords to just create more i i in the notes i wrote bludgeon assistance um, <laughs> you know uh it and it's being, and then, you know, even when we get a melody at the end, right, that's kind of with that cleaner toned Killing Jokey guitar, right? But it's like, it's not a lead, it's not a trem lead, it's not even a conventional riff. It's just, you know, you're basically using the neck of the guitar to do something that that band on his, in his collective, uh, Violet Parla Signe would just do with noise. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff on this record where he's kind of doing the, the, the noise or electronic sound object thing, mm -hmm. but he's doing it with guitar technique. Yeah. So you're just basically making this arc of crackling. You, you pointed out back in the day, I like any sort of guitar sound that sounds like sort of crackling energy. And, you know, so he creates one of those sort of like, whiplash arc lightning shapes but sort of like molasses slow um, yeah yeah i know what you mean oh. but but jesus christ some of the stuff in this sample is some of the most extreme in terms of just like bizarro hyper speed noise guitar stuff mm -hmm. like i think it's like the second riff after that big kind of noise rock riff which is just totally insane sawing discordant stuff and uh, mm -hmm. I, I really love that so much <laughs> yeah this is cool um this is this is definitely very cool music it's sort of undeniably cool because in, in the best sense modern. of the word like yeah if you don't like this you're not cool yeah it's it's very mm -hmm. modern it's very trench coat at the same time yeah like if you like battle there's no reason to not at least appreciate this <laughs> definitely I mean, uh, you know, um, like I was saying to you, I feel like in my life right now, it's hard to imagine a mood I would listen to this in. But if I still lived in New York City and was on the subway surrounded with people, you just sort of uh, begin to feel extremely hostile towards all of them. This I probably would <laughs> listen to this. Regularly. I like that. That's, that's, um, a, that's a good description. It's very hostile music. A very hostile um, on the, yeah, sort of claustrophobic uh caged animal uh paranoia uh walking down the back streets you know horrible kind of urban setting is a big part yeah sort of being uh being uh regrettably not black out enough at a certain hour of the night so <laughs> you remember what you did 
Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now we're so on to Oubliette. Speaking of which, on to Oubliette Utopia. Um, do you know what an Oubliette is, Death Metal Guy? Uh, yeah, it's like uh, it's it's like a like a reliquary. It's like a tomb kind of thing. I believe. No, no, but it sounds like that. It's a um, this is some deep cut knights shit. Um, this is it's a um, it's a oh, it's I like see. a dungeon that has a trap door to it, and you can use it as a siege defense, or like you can or a you can just use it to throw someone in the floor and lock it up and laugh at them. But there are also at least things that were designed in theory to be able to like uh you know people run into the the the, the hall with swords and you drop the oubliette and they'd fall into a dungeon okay I, yeah. yeah i've i mean i've so. seen it in so many uh so many like brodequin titles and shit but i only got the like, context <laughs> so so this is very this is very uh big city bad vibes right it's like the uh it's the claustrophobic dungeon utopia yeah all right, so uh, I, I brought this sample on. Uh, we're just going to listen to the back half of this song. This is where we get some more of the kind of Killing Joke arpeggiated stuff towards the end. We get more of the Grand Declaration. But then we also get some of the uh, the Blood Oss Nord that has always kind of been there in fits and starts for a press. You know, like I, I think I mentioned... I, I don't know if it was in regards to a press or something else last year. I was talking about uh, Blood Oss Nord's Mort their very forgotten record mm-hmm. which is just bizarre sort of creeping industrial beats and the most just idiosyncratic dissonant kind of intervals possible it's one of the only kind of guitar reference points i can think of immediately for uh, a press's overall style um so this is really cool and there's a wonderful sort of bizarre freeform bass passage at the end of this that I really appreciate, which also brings to mind, you know, Godflesh that always used the bass as the actual primary instrument uh, for their music. So uh, let's give this one a shot.
I just really like how weird it is. You know, it's it, it, very consciously weird, but but deliberate and not up its own ass about it. You know, it's like, I have the objective to make the weirdest, ugliest music possible. And then sometimes I let some more kind of melodic, more delicate ideas come through, but it's but, just to provide hideous contrast. But that whole part was also very riffy. Like, oh, yeah, it was that bass, The riffy. repeating bass thing, you know, you get the... Even the kind of gauzy kind of KJ guitar smears over that were pretty cool sounding, but like you get the um the one dum 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 Um Which is kind of a killing joke thing in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, oh for sure. Yeah, it's close to it's a variation on the primal, you know, da Um But you know the other thing it's like, yeah, you know what it is? God this record sounds more conspi- more heavy and aggressive but style than the last one but maybe sounds less like orthodox bm maybe you know this record makes more sense to when i'm thinking and say even in terms of like what mood would i listen to this in it all of the major influences on this record are actually like goth bands yeah, I can like see even that. when I think about that bass line, you pointed out the bass is central. You're right. Um, I I hadn't even thought of that. That bass line also a bass line would, would that's like a birthday party bass line. Um, dong 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 You know, or sorry, that was a Mevix, but um, you got a uh, you know you get sort of like lurching, these sort of bizarre off kilter lurching drunk sounding bass lines. Sometimes the birthday party really for me is just like sheer ugliness, and you're sort of like uh. They're kind of like uh, explaining the joke to you after someone's already made it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the Stooges, the Stooges made the joke, or Joy Division, who they claimed they didn't listen to, made the joke, and then they're kind of like uh, telling you what it is. It's like, yeah, this music's really ugly, um, but um, all, all, it's also often really, really cool. And so that sort of like staggered, swaggering, groove, off kilter groove bass line, or even the noise rock thing from before. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, that's like birthday party at their best. The weird thing is a lot of noise rock is it's nerds biting hardcore and trying to make it less intimidating, right, by making it less <laughs> fast and more fractured. But it's also like hardcore guys, like, you know, Unsane, who you can't knock, not yeah. copying the birthday party. Yeah, I've never actually listened to the birthday party. Is that worth my time? You might like it better than me, honestly. Yeah, I think you would. Yeah, because oh, okay. you love you. You really are into you know. You're a old DSBM guy at heart and a brutal slam. <laughs> guy. I mean, Nick Cave would do things like you know, um, drawing a syringe, you know, drawing a syringe of his own blood and writing poetry on the subway wall, and <laughs> this stuff even at his time was tired. That's kind of what I mean, but like in the but early the, '80s, that's kind of what makes it fun. Is how well, yeah, fucking it's still obnoxious obje- it is. <laughs> oh, it's still objectively cool. Yeah, I mean, how many people see Iggy Pop and see him like, you know, oh yeah, he writhes in the broken glass and whatever, and it's like Nick Cave was taking that pretty seriously, you know? Yeah, like uh, no, Nick Cave, young Nick Cave, undeniably cool guy. He's he's old. He's aged better than almost anyone from that era too. But like. The new stuff. I think he's lost the plot. He got absorbed by the culture industry lately. I think. Um, yeah, it happens to all of us on a long enough timeline. Yeah, eventually you get a. <laughs> eventually you're asked on too many 
you're given too many awards and shit. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's like you can't. Yeah, you can't. Like you can. You can say, "Oh, Nick, that's that's so passe." But Nick can say, "Did you write your poetry on the wall of the subway with your own blood?" Okay, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. What what do you got to wrap this one up? It's, uh, um. Uh, so we got hubris exalted, um, and so uh, this is just um, maybe the prettiest moment on this record, and the only thing that in any way sounds like the more lead-oriented stuff from the last one, or sounds like orthodox black metal, but even so, it's way more arpeggio-oriented, way more riff-oriented, um, and when we get into it, just keep in mind, we're already a minute into this riff. So this is a great example of like this record sort of commitment to traditional sort of post-punk, metal-punk, riff-based repetitive song structure. what gives this its own kind of special energy is very basic shit like uh just leaving all his guitar noise in Mm -hmm. i think that's a really important part of this is you know like whenever there's a guitar dropout and you just have like a single guitar passage he always has the second one recording and just little kind of finger sounds as he preps for the next riff. Mm-hmm. And I think it just, it gives it such a, a live, warm feel, even though it's a one-man project. That's kind of like the Ad Nauseam from earlier this year. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. A thing I didn't even get to talk about with that is one reason that that was so much like things that are totally full of shit, but actually really good, um, <laughs> was that most of those bands are this, like, sterile line-in production, or like... Uh, you know, I don't know, like, universe, University of Reykjavik Auditorium professional sound crew, you know? Um, whereas that was, they had done this, like, I think those guys are music students in Ad nauseum, but they, like, used their composition knowledge to, like, basically build instruments and their whole recording setup 
and they intentionally yeah. made ever they intentionally made everything sound the cold the coldness of it came from the notes they were playing the tones were all kind of warm and analog mm-hmm. um and this is obviously way punker than that right there's not nothing punk about ad nauseum right but um yeah this is very punk i think maybe more than i thought on the first record and it's a uh, and yeah, so in a certain sense, it's it's music that's often played with this very, or even in the Orthodox bands, right? Very, even at their best, very. The point is very high gloss, beefy production, right? Like yeah, Aosoth sounds like you're screaming in the cathedral, right? And this is like, um, this is very raw. I think that's a good point. The tones, like the, when the bass is by itself, it's so satisfying just to hear it. You know what? You know what I like so much about a press. Uh, oh, it's also that, raw and it doesn't it's raw but not trying to be it's just it just is raw it's not telling you it's raw anyway continue um, oh no i was just gonna say what i like so much of, about a press and this is gonna be a weird comparison is the cool shit that would pop up and then disappear on myspace back in the mid-2000s you know the, mm. There were plenty of guys doing their own, like, weirdo one-man things, and of course most of it was bad, because most of everything is bad. But occasionally, you would accidentally slip onto a page of some guy who's got two songs, where he's attempting to do black metal, but the result is something just so idiosyncratic and bizarre, it sticks with you for years after. You know, years after all the music has disappeared off MySpace and it was never released on a demo or anything, there's bands I can still remember from that era, you know, who never did anything. Little projects, no idea who they were. But the the, the intense weirdness and single-mindedness of a press brings me back to that. Hi, this is Taylor from Crushing the Scepter, and you're listening to Terminus Podcast. All right, and we are uh, back from uh, off mic laughing about a uh, meme on the Instagram to uh, talking about Reign of Terror's Witch Hunt. Uh, this is... Uh, set up front a new band from finland who build themselves as sort of a death thrash um usually when you think death thrash i don't know death metal guy what's the first thing you think when you think of that oh i'm thinking of well it depends on who's saying it because i can be thinking of possessed or i can be thinking of vader i have to i have to look at the clothing the person who's saying it is wearing yeah to see I, which they mean uh, yeah yeah death thrash maybe yeah, not Black Thrash, but Death Thrash. Maybe I would think of, like, uh... Well, Demolition Hammer, but I'm always thinking of Demolition Hammer. Um, <laughs> it's, um... I don't even listen to them that much. I just love them. Um, but, um... Uh, but, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Vader. Um, the Crown. You, could call, you yeah. could call Angel Corpse that, but they're also pretty black metal. You know, they're more in that kind of thrashing war metal thing um mm-hmm. yeah it, it's hard to say i mean i guess you could also just use it to describe anything that's like really extreme thrash that doesn't sound like black metal right i mean you yeah. could say that you could say like dark angel or morbid saint or is kind of death thrash 
Yeah. Creator could be Black Slaughter. Thrash or Death. Yeah. Creator could be Black Thrash or Death Thrash, depending how you take it. Slaughter's definitely Death Thrash. Yeah, that's... The, Slaughter is a good benchmark for, like, what it would mean to be both of those things. Um, definitely. So, what the hell is this? Um, this is a rare kind of record that seems like... If somebody told me this was recorded in the 80s, I would completely believe it. And if it had been released in the 80s, um, people on the punk scene would still talk about it. Um, you know, now it wouldn't be like a, it wouldn't be like, you know, Amoebics level, right? But it would be, it would be something, um, it would be something in like the, the tier of minor bands that people like a lot and still talk about. Um, yeah. Uh, the thing I'm most immediately reminded of when I'm trying to think of a parallel to this is uh, Sacrilege. Um, who were a UK, uh, keep meaning to put up my sacrilege poster, but they're, um, <laughs> sort of, uh, like really good UK DB. There weren't a lot of the good copycat DB bands back then, at least IMO, but, um, uh, sort of lives up to the idea of what that sounds like now, but with a female vocalist who, uh, was, well, you know, just very, very shouty and loud. And, um, then they became a thrash band. But like very death metally thrash, and actually a lot of the riffs on um, Bolt Thrower's uh, "In Battle There Is No Law" are basically sacrilege riffs. Yeah, they're um, one of the uh, the few bands to actually get more extreme as they went on. They got more extreme. Yeah, in some well, the the, the D beat stuff's pretty extreme in its own way. But yes, they did not become like radio market thrash. They became the sort of extremely grinding mid tempo mosh oriented thrash, highly subdivided mosh oriented thrash. You can see why they didn't make it big, but you can mm-hmm. see why Bolt Thrower took it and ran with it, right? Yeah. Um, and but the weird thing is that like <laughs> that band has thrash riffs, like really good thrash riffs, and Reign of Terror seems to have almost made a deliberate decision not to write any sort of like uh, very few sort of like moving between the power chords on the octave and the pedal point, you know, classic thrash riff. Right? Very little of that, as we found, it sort of only opens up on the back end of the record. And it really sounds like... it's And it's got this kind of lumbering mid-tempo quality to it, like everything hits slower than you expect it to mm-hmm. almost everything um and that's very stenchcore that's and it, it, you'll hear these rhythms over and over again they're kind of like deviated instinct uh jump the fuck up mosh grooves um yeah sort of like perversely funky or like chromax grooves but they also don't really sound like amoebics they don't really sound like deviated instinct it almost sounds like they tried to build something that works like 80s, just disgusting 80s metal punk from the UK, stand stuff, but only using the most elemental materials. Like, it's like, okay, we can use Discharge, we can use a few songs by Diamond Head and Angel Witch, uh, we can use Kill 'Em All, but only, you know, only the good parts. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, Venom. Uh, we can't use Celtic Frost, can't use Hellhammer. And there's all there's going to be shit that, throughout this record that sounds kind of like Celtic Frost or Hellhammer, or 
deviated instinct or whatever, but it's always getting there by parallel in a very strange way. So I think we, we both think, as far as we know, there's like literally nothing we've heard that actually sounds like this. No. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's there's one comparison, which mm-hmm. would be, of all things, the trash record from last year for my buddies that we covered. I was actually going to say, I don't think they really sound alike, but there's definitely a similar thing going on. Explain. There's a similarity in approach, yeah. I think. Yeah. This sort of like... <clears throat> So Trash arrives at the sort of stenchcore thing totally accidentally because they're <laughs> 20-year-olds who have no idea what that shit is. These guys <laughs> probably arrived at that deliberately. But I, I, I guess the the interesting thing about this to me is that you can describe it as like a thrash record, but to me what it scans as is a a pretty pure fusion of like heavy metal and hardcore punk, no. which is, that's what thrash is, but not really, you know No, I, mean? I completely, that's kind of, yeah, exactly, that's what I was trying to get at. It's like, um, yeah, so it's the same thing, so like, trash is sort of accidentally generating stench effects by the fact that they really like thrash metal and they really like smoking weed and throwing down, right? Yes, um, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and this band is sort of maybe has some, has, I mean, I'm sure these are, yeah, these are Finnish metal punks. They have massive record collections, right? But, um, but like, so I'm sure they know exactly what they're sort of trying to parallel, but there's no direct similarity. And it's like they built it with other ingredients. So in this case, it's just hardcore and metal. Yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Um, I, I can imagine that this isn't exactly your cup of tea, but I think this is fucking sick. So, uh, I, I no it's, yeah it's it's not my it's not my thing but I I appreciate it for what it what it is and I appreciate its idiosyncrasies, you know I do like the fact that it is like a, uh, I, I guess another weird point of comparison would be imagine playing a nuclear assault LP on thirty three instead of forty five. I've Just never like heard nuclear assault, but I can kind of imagine. Oh, nuclear assault's fucking great. They're yeah. they're one of the few thrash bands that I wholeheartedly endorse. Um, so just the idea that you can imagine a lot of this being much more normal played 20% faster. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean like the, the first, the first song at first, I, I should well sample it now, but, uh, the first, the first song, when I first heard this, I was like, ah, this is like, I, I know you can make things heavy by falling slower than you expect, but this is a little much. <laughs> I heard it a second time, and I was like, this fucking kills. All right, so <laughs> Let's um, do that we're, one, we're just going to listen to the first track, which is called uh, Power Play. It's a short one. Let's do it. <laughs>
so uh, that lobotomized me. <laughs> this, this band loves to do head fakes. At any point, you think they're going to jump into like a like a double time, like Hella Waits Slayer riff. Never mm-hmm. happens. We're just going to lurch from one thrash break to another. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, the closest you get to a fast part on there is that super slowed down, almost Coffin's level skanky riff, right? Yeah. Da, 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 da. And so when I heard that riff, I was like, these guys know what the fuck they're doing. Because that is actually how the riffs on uh, Why and Hear Nothing sound. They don't sound like D-beat riffs for the most part, as D-beat bands rip it off. Those actually is the way of writing a sort of crushing, strangely major minor sounding, uh, perfectly timed and balanced kind of discharge style riff. And so I was like, that is sick. There's um, there's barely any tremolo riffing on this record at all. Oh yeah, you if you have to listen fast, I mean there's not many palm mutes even. Like they'll they'll hit a couple little chugs at the bottom of the but um uh yeah, barely any trem, barely any palm mutes. Um you could write all the riffs without palm mutes also. Yeah, yeah, it's well it's super stripped down and the guitar technique itself is a lot more I mean, I guess, so I, I talked about the, the fusion of heavy metal and hardcore. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, um, a lot of it's sort of like hardcore guitar technique with uh, heavy metal melodies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably the best way to describe it. But there is always this commitment to this lurching mid-pace, which makes it very unusual. I mean, I'd even compare it in places to stuff like the... Uh, the really early records by Propane or something like that. What's remind me what Propane is? Is that a NYHC band? Yeah, I mean Propane kind of were proto tough guy hardcore, but their mm-hmm. career's been so long that they've slipped through multiple phases. They had periods where yeah. they were. Oh, ninety one is the birth of tough guy. Yeah, I mean you'd say Chromax is early, like, but this makes sense with the Chromax reference. Like Chromax is like proto tough, like originary tough guy hardcore. Yeah, you yeah. listen to like the uh, the very first propane record, "Foul Taste of Freedom." You'll get some stuff kind of like this, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, just in that same like weird liminal space of it's kind of hardcore, it's kind of metal, and it's kind of too slow for both of them. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's very interesting. I, it's probably something that you'd find. You probably have a, a better historical reference well, for it. Well, the first things I thought of when I heard this, it's like the more I listened and the more I heard, say, the particular ways of writing the riffs and whatever, I thought, okay, this actually sounds more like that English tradition that I'm obsessed with. But mm-hmm. the first things I thought of were like Cro-Mags and weird liminal New York hardcore that I don't know but imagine exists. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it sounds, it doesn't sound, this doesn't sound at all proto-beatdown Marauder, but it sounds like mm-hmm. Marauder as a hardcore band. It's exactly <laughs> the same kind of, like, like, there are two sides of, two ways you could take it, right? And this is like, you make the tones a little bit brighter, um, you know, uh, and you don't go, Master Killer. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, like... I immediately thought of, yeah, sort of like lumbering, low-end New York hardcore and, like, Exhorter. Yeah, I, I can see that. It, it, Exhorter mm. is an interesting one because, I, I mean, I haven't listened to Slaughter in the Vatican in, like, ten years easy. 
I so doubt I these guys gonna... want to sound like X Order, but you know, like, or and probably not even New York hardcore, but like those are definitely reference points. Uh, I think there's a lot of New York mm-hmm. and Boston hardcore that would be reference points for this. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you know, late '80s <clears throat> stuff, probably at the furthest. Maybe a couple records from the early '90s, but. Um, but one thing I want to talk about. Okay, so this whole this whole metal punk thing that boomers like you talk about <laughs> is is that what this is? Is this what metal punk is? Oh, you know? and I've got a good example. This off a track called "Wasted," and this is where some of the idiosyncrasies really come to the forefront for me. This some of these songs have choruses, like full fledged choruses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I, I think this track actually has a solo and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very strange where it's... The feel I get off this record is I can imagine a lot of these songs as, like, minute and a half, just, like, brutal kind of pounding proto-tough guy hardcore songs. But then... Yeah, just, like, the two main riffs and you hear them both twice. We're done. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But then it's like, oh, you've got full choruses and you've got these big, like, almost Iron Maiden-y solos at times, where, you know, where all this mm-hmm. sort of, like, traditional heavy metal comes in. And it creates a really fascinating juxtaposition. So let's listen to a clip off Wasted, and then you tell me what you think. You, you give me the historical context that I lack for this sort of thing. All right, all right. a guess here just because a band that's on my mind because uh, a bandmate of mine was talking about them and he's the first person I've ever heard mention this band except for you on the show hmm. is this coming from Broken Bones interesting good one um, I was going to reference them actually uh, I'm one well the weird thing is right that the so the general idea of metal punk, yeah, this fits very well with that. And, you know, for the listeners, that's something that's this it's this niche of UK punk bands who discharge influenced punk bands who started like getting into like Maiden 
more, basically. And so and it insane ex- Japanese people also. Yeah, that's true. That is another variation. <laughs> yes. And in both cases, it's kind of like you listen like you listen to the British stuff and it's like, oh, this is like punk and it's metal, but it's not thrashy. It's not proto-deathy. Um, it's just very much like it's punk and it's metal. And you listen to Jism and it's like, oh, this is a very extreme and weird version of just punk and metal. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like there's no, yeah, Maiden, or like Jism is, you know, yeah, people are surprised how little you and or like and others are surprised how j- little Jism sounds like a crust band. Um, but, um, so yeah, in that sense, yes. And you know, tempo-wise, the kind of lumbering tempo is actually kind of close to Jism, which I hadn't even thought of. Um, but like a lot of the classic metal punk sound is like speedy, right? It's like new wave mm-hmm. of British heavy metal and speed metal as the reference points. Um, and so something like Broken Bones is like ex- just really fast the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, the solos are kind of like that. I'm wondering if a band that I really don't know because I probably checked them out before I even liked Iron Maiden. And I think I've gone back to it and just hasn't landed, but I can't remember who the fuck knows, is uh, English Dogs. Um, oh, okay, yeah, that's something I've never listened to. I think English Dogs is fast, though, or, like, faster. I think I think the, a lot of those bands, like, move at heavy metal tempos and have sort of heavy metal kind of structures and whatnot. Um, and these songs are just paced completely differently. But maybe if you wanted to try to describe what it's like, maybe it's like, okay, we're going to do things like stench and mosh in nyhc but we're gonna do it all as metal punk okay i mean i, I, I you know I, I can imagine this band either being very clearly like dudes who've read a ton of maximum rock and roll like sitting down at a bar and figuring out like what the kind of sickest band they could make is or i can very <laughs> much imagine it as like them going in the rehearsal room and like being really drunk and this is what came out <laughs> um, it's uh, a thin line between those two options. <laughs> that, that, that's in fact, yeah, a very wavy line. The, um, the alcohol. In, is, in fact, yeah. these things may have happened in the same night. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. 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 In fact, they had a plan for a great band that sounded completely different from this. <laughs> Just got lost on their way there. Yeah, they're like, well, that uh, we were playing really slow the other night, but you know, it sounds great. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. So speaking of dogs, this is this is a thrash song. Um, this is uh, you know, we we get to the first thrash song about like fourth track with axe wielding maniac, um, and this is the fifth. It's dogs of war, and here are actual thrash riffs. Um, and uh. It's 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 good. I I like it. All right. <laughs>
these guys have an interesting thing where they like to... Every One thing I appreciate, every time they go into a solo, there's always a new riff under it. Which is something I've mentioned before, I forget on which review. But that's where a lot of the most distinctly, like, trad heavy metal ideas come out. Maybe Altered Death. Maybe maybe Altered Death. Altered Death, yeah. Sorry. Um, Possibly them. I'm not sure. It was somebody, but... It's interesting because they smuggle in a lot of the most, like, trad metal ideas, like, sort of like Angel Witch type ideas, like Mm -hmm. you said, in those riffs underneath the solos, which you're usually not going to be paying attention to because you're concentrating on the lead guitar, which is a a very interesting thing. Yeah, this is a very subtle record that's probably made by dudes who are our age or older. I say this is a masters of craft kind of thing that wears its skill very lightly. Um... Well, so and they're also an, another they're thing also, that suggests. Yeah, what? Oh, I was just going to say, it, it seems very clear these are guys coming from an extreme metal background. I don't think so. I think they're punks. Really? Um, yeah, I'm like 100 percent sure. Um, See, I get I get a big like that. I, I mean, sure they listen. Metal. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm sure they listen to shit tons of extreme metal. But what were you going to say? Yeah. Oh no, just because even listening to that part, I was like. I mean, it's a, it might be a little bit of a left-of-center comparison, but uh, I remember, you know, it was a, a few months ago I decided to go on... I was on kind of a, a road trip. I had a ton of time in the car, so I just decided to listen to the entire Bathory discography. And honestly, like, hearing some of those riffs, they're reminding me off shit from, you know, The Return or Under the Sign of the Black Mark. To it. Oh, so here's the thing. Bathory is now canonical crust punk. <laughs> You yeah, can't. Like, you can't just whip that out. You can't no, just no, no. proclaim I'm, that. <laughs> I, I'm saying no. I'm saying like. I mean, of course, it's also canonical black metal, and arguably, if uh, that one Polish band are to, uh, you know, if we're to believe them, canonical death metal too, right? Um, and but, yeah, insert us, um, yeah, 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 insert us. Um, but like, the, it's like, I mean, I'm sure these guys like know all the, like. We're at a point now where, like, if you're a serious head who plays, like, from the punk scene, who's interested in metallic-sounding stuff, you know at least all the fundamental stuff in the extreme metal canon. Um, I I think basically how it is in extreme metal, you know all the fundamental stuff in hardcore now. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, And maybe to an even greater degree. Like, maybe they Mm -hmm. don't know the, um, maybe they're not as familiar with, like, you know, American death metal. Um, But, Mm -hmm. like, uh... Maybe they are, right? Um, but, like, certainly stuff like um, Hellhammer and Bathory have been sort of canonical for crust punk since I was a crust punk or, uh, cru- or hmm. crust adjacent or something. You know, since I was uh, going to a lot of crust shows and, you know... Uh, I didn't realize that yeah. uh, Bathory had made those kinds of inroads in the crust scene. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, like a, it's a patch. Um, uh, so... It's like, um, I mean, and you, but you know, here's the thing, dude, right? Most of those people don't listen to it, right? They turn it on, but they don't hear it. Yeah. Right. These this guys band, yes. In your defense, these guys actually like Bathory, um, and like <laughs> actually, like actually pay attention to it. Right. Or like, um, you know, like, I mean, Krusty's now all have like dark throne patches. Right. And we, we mm-hmm. joke about that. This band could probably name you minor cuts off Dark Throne songs, like Dark Throne records. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Like, so there's really like there's a difference between the kind of uh, 
superficial name check, haha, cool goat t-shirt, and the people who are really serious about it as musicians, who I think, like, I've talked to a ton of those people and they know their shit, right? Especially mm-hmm. this especially this one specific niche of dudes. Um, so, uh, yeah, but so other cool, so apropos of that, another really cool thing in that song, another very subtle and very metal thing they do is at the beginning of that, right? So they're very, right? So like highly syncopated, very stiff syncopation, right? Deliberately stiff syncopation, you know, um, upbeat emphasized on the snare, the spiraling kind of angel witchy thing that comes in, that is, they're playing that deliberately out of phase with it. They're playing it like, like the emphasis, like, I mean, who knows? Like, it's like the emphasis on the upbeat on that or something. Yeah. Um, so it like goes, it puts the inflection on the skank beat backwards and makes it sound like it's a blast or something. Does that make sense? I, I get it. Yeah. It, well, it's it's fulfilling the same role that a blast would in a more extreme record. Not really a blast because it kind of slows it down. But like it, you get this weird thing basically where like the emphasis in the drum track is different from where the emphasis is falling in the guitar, and it produces a it switches how we hear the drum track. That well, makes it's sense. still it, it's still about like a a wall of density mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. the two. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Switches the drums to more of a daka daka daka. Um. And um and then back out and you know yeah I really like that shit um it's I'm trying to think like I don't think thrash bands used that technique very much did they that specific beat oh oh god you're asking exactly the wrong person about yeah, just think about technique. just 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 think about the shit we know I mean like uh I I think there were some but I think it's very primordial thrash stuff yeah. i think I, I think it's stuff that we don't listen to like I mean, you know metal church because that like really that. is the rhythms of like you can take the beginning of that song you can just shout green hell at the end of it right you know yeah. green hell or just like <laughs> devil luck right that's basically this <laughs> and you know the way the misfits got the sound on that record was that danzig passed out on the couch and the band went in to record and were presumably hopped up on speed and nervous because they couldn't play their instruments and so they played it <laughs> twice as fast and Danzig nice. was Danzig was pissed when they recorded it because he wanted it to sound like a heavy metal record. And uh, <laughs> one of the only times I'll ever thank Jerry only. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, so you get this bizarre, stiff, misfits, hardcore beat. And the only other sort of thrash band I can think of that does that is a obscure, I think, Russian band that these guys probably know called Orc Bastards. It's Orc with a K. No clue. Total yeah. blank. All right, cool. So let's listen to the last one. All right, so last one. Um, quick note, because I always love pointing it out when this happens. Uh, this album was recorded in two sessions, because uh, after the after Dogs of War, production changes completely. So <laughs> it was clearly... Uh, they they rolled into the studio the next time. They were too drunk to remember their settings the first time. So it's like, let's just get a good guitar tone again and do it kind of thing. <laughs> oh, also, also, while you're on that subject, they they specified to me in the email that this was recorded all analog to tape. Oh, I can definitely believe that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so the way they describe it as death thrash is interesting because that's not how it scans to us, but... Mm-hmm. 
there's parts of it where I can kind of understand that. It, it Sometimes it has this clattering quality, and I think when these guys mean Death Rash, they're going super early. They're talking Possessed. They're talking, um, uh, I would say Death, but I think it's more the Mantis tapes before the band was Death. Um, and clearly these guys are well-versed in extreme metal, especially when you hear that just really fucking raunchy vocal performance across this whole record, which is just way the fuck out in front and like just way too harsh for the style of music well what one would expect for it i i think it's really cool actually um so this is a track called fallout and you're gonna hear some more intense moments on this where the death thrash idea makes a little bit more sense I think there I think there is a death rash quality to this. It just comes from such a liminal, such a precise space in time. It doesn't come up immediately. Yeah, you know, like I was saying, Mantis probably the executioner demos before. I've never even Obituary. heard of Mantis, but that sounds like something I would like. Yeah, so Mantis is the band before death, and mm-hmm. Executioner is the band before Obituary. Some of the very earliest uh, Morbid Angel rehearsal tapes will sound a little bit like that. Oh, um, does this sound a little bit like Ripping Corpse? Yeah, in a Because in a Ripping way. Corpse is, I mean, it's obviously fancier, but Ripping Corpse sounds weirdly like a hardcore band for something that the uh, Hessian Firm guys like. Oh, no, yeah, Ripping Corpse is, dude, I would say Ripping Corpse is like half hardcore. Yeah, in spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. like... Ripping Corpse is awesome, um, yeah. but they're they're absolutely were one of the earliest groups to try to combine kind of death rash with uh, you know NY hardcore because I, mm. I think those guys were kind of coming out of both scenes at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is way way slower than Ripping Corpse. No, no I, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, um, 
but yeah, so it's it's interesting the you know the perspective of it. You know, is is Death Rash kind of an aesthetic tied to a period in time? Is it more of a style? I think it depends on who you talk to, because like we were saying at the top of the episode, you know, when you hear Death Rash, what do you imagine? Well, I can I can think of very old school stuff that was on the cusp between the two, and I can think of very thrashy modern death metal like Vader. But uh, it, it doesn't really have a defined style in the way that kind of black thrash stuff does nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, so this is very cool. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, you were talking about the vocals before. The vocals on this are great. Oh, they're um, awesome. <laughs> and they have some of that stench quality, but they also have some of, like, Sakevi if he didn't use the sort of watery frog effect, which would arguably have a little more impact <laughs> right you know you get the uh, um right you know it's its own acquired taste but uh, it's certainly um it's certainly unusual from an extreme metal perspective right um but like this has this has skillful use of like delay and distortion is what i mean and, um, and big big ass dropping fucking pitch shifting here and there <laughs> yeah for sure so this is cool you know what i think like I could, this is so off from what my usual rotation is these days that I could, you know, kind of forget about it. But there's a decent chance this is your end material for me. Like, just to throw, just to throw something on there that's like, this is a really good sort of like punk metal record. Um, it's very much in the style of a bunch of bands I love and uh, extremely good summer jam. Uh, so... I w- we'll we'll see, but I think this is a really good record, uh, and uh, stoked to hear what's next from these guys.
right, and we are back after some sacrilege with Lotus of Darkness's Sampas Naga. Uh, this is the band's second full-length record. Uh, first one was released in 2017. Uh, we didn't mention at the top, but the CD version on this is going to be coming out on Namtaru Records. Uh, as far as the date of release, we're not sure. Uh, Namtaru is a Colombian label, and given the political situation in Colombia right now, if anyone hasn't been following it, uh, might be a little while before they can be concerned about things like releasing black metal CDs. But uh, life is life is a little too black metal. Yeah, life is a little bit too black metal. But uh, yeah. that's, it has the, that's been... the South American black metal struggle. Yeah, exactly, as, yes. as it has been frequently uh, for 30 years now. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, Namtaru, uh, all your guys over there, be safe. And, uh, yeah, for sure. But it has, uh, it has premiered digitally, and uh, this came as a recommendation, as I said, from one of our patrons. So, Lotus of Darkness is a folk black metal band from Thailand, and I think that... I mean, that's absolutely the right way to describe them, is a folk black metal band, but a lot mm. of people are going to get the wrong impression of what that means. Um, this is a folk black metal band in the context of, uh, say, something very deep cut from Scandinavia, Scandinavia like uh, Fjell, in that there are not, you know, big folk moments, there are not big usages of traditional instruments, but there is a constant streaming influx of traditional Thai folk melody throughout this music played on electric guitar. And um, and there are there are traditional instruments, but they're used in a way that's pretty continuous with the electric guitar. It's like uh Yeah. There's there's not like a big break from the black metal for a folk part. It does like, yes, exactly. Like, it does it doesn't stop being good. Um, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're they're using they're using this kind of lute like uh, traditional Thai instrument. I have no idea what it's called, but they use that to play very riffy stuff in sync with the guitars. You know what? Like maybe the stigma against folk black is over, because like back in the day, we would have had to explain that this wasn't bad. You know what I mean? Like, that, oh, it's folk black, but it doesn't sound like folk metal, right? It doesn't sound like you know I don't know fintroll, but um. Nowadays, like, I mean, just because the normal form of black metal these days is pagan black metal, right? So yeah. There's, there's yeah, a kind fair. of folkiness to all of it, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking in terms of what we've had on our show, right, like, lately, both the Hunter Nose and the Odal record, both very solidly would score as a black metal record today, but have a lot in them that's consistent with the better things that would have been called folk metal back in the day, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, you know, like there's as... like violin playing on the Odal and some very folky melodies, and there's, but just woven in with the guitar. And the Andrenos straight does have bagpipe breakdowns; they just rip. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, as far as the uh, the instrumentation goes, I, I I'm actually not sure because you were saying there's something that plays parallel to the guitars. I thought it might have been a clean guitar. There is such a thing as a, a Thai fiddle. Uh, a Thai traditional folk stringed instrument, but uh, it, it's very hard to tell with the mixing whether it's the traditional instrument or if it's just a clean guitar. But either way, it's being it's being employed in the same way as I, traditional. Thai I think folk there music. is something that sounds like accordion here too. 
which could be Possibly. a different thing. But like, there's some. I would like to hear more of it. In fact, it's really cool. It comes in sort of around the guitars on the low end, kind of like a press was using. Would sometimes just smear an arpeggio over the heavy power chord stuff mm, in the yeah. same sonic space. Like, it comes in in the same... This band is always doing two guitars at once. Sometimes just doing, like, fifths or octaves or sometimes playing the same riff. But it mm-hmm. creates a very interesting effect. And then... Uh, and it's not, like, you know, fancy Swedish tandem two-guitar thing. It's a much more, like, drony thing. Um, and sometimes they drop, like... Sometimes they drop in accordion stuff, or so- sounding stuff over that. This, like, thick key sound... And it's really interesting. Um, well, I was curious about that. You know, you're mentioning the uh, the sort of like twin guitar Swedish thing. Um, because I, I would say that, you know, as far as technique goes, this music has a lot to do with the kind of traditional Swedish Black Death stuff that you really like. But melodically, it's completely different. And melodically, it's almost completely rooted in Thai folk. In a lot of places. So I was curious. I mean, what are your overall impressions of this? I was... Yeah, I don't hear the Swedish thing. That's interesting. Um, Maybe... I mean... I'd have to think about that. Um, I think not. I think it's like... It's... um, I mean, well, I guess so essential to the way I hear the Swedish thing is certain characteristic harmonies. um, And uh, also... Yeah, these sort of like dark neoclassical chords or things that would and also this weird range of things that kind of sound like heavy metal or thrash um Mm -hmm. i i don't yeah i don't really hear that here although i if you can point it out to me as we go through that'd be interesting i was trying i thought i came up with the other night i came up with like oh this is i think like a way of describing it i think it does sound a lot like following the voice of blood like um, I can see that. Obviously, yeah. much more blast beat, much more continuous blast beat oriented, much more like conventionally black metal, right? But there are sort of big mid-tempo parts that are a lot like Raise... You know, some of the most epic loot parts, one I'll get to, it sounds like Raise the Swords or any number of these kind of like slower parts on that record specifically. So like really raw, primordial... Uh, um, the most deeply folky sounding Graveland. This sounds a lot like, um, mm-hmm. and I think I heard this band back in the day, and they also reminded me. They haven't released a record in a while, um, but it also again sort of reminded me of that. But it's much more blasty and black metally in a way that set off some sort of other bell for me too. And we'll see if I remember it. Yeah, and plus, you know, connecting it to following the voice of blood, that whole sort of lute style guitar tone is something very important to both of these records exactly exactly yes playing finding a way to play electric you're either finding a way to play electric guitar in a way that sounds meaningfully folky while still being metal or you are here perhaps using a lute in a really metal way either way yes this very good melding of uh styles that comes from having a serious ear for the folk style you're working in like yeah, I remember I asked our buddy who recommended this. I asked him if he thought that um, uh, what was that band? Uh, Surrender of Divinity. Uh, if if uh, Surrender of Divinity is also Thai, right? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, we featured them on the very beginning of this show, or we did a, did a sample. But there's some crazy riffs, Thai folkish riffs on there, and I asked him, if, if, "Oh, were they listening to Graveland back then?" And he's like, "No, probably not, because it was so early, right? They're like just listening to Norse bands." Um, uh, but um, this band, I feel like it's so folky and sort of deliberately has that jangly organic quality that it has to be a direct influence. It's a uh, yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um, well, let's, uh, let's jump in. So, yeah. here's a good sign. We got two, uh, two samples off the same track. So, mm-hmm. uh, we're gonna be going straight to the title track, Sampas Naga. And, uh, here is, actually, right off the bat, here's something that I would compare to the sweet, sort of Swedish Black Death technique. Um, like you said early on, this whole album is built around interlocking, intertwined, sort of lead style guitar melodies which is something i associate very deeply with something like sacramentum um or just or you know swedish melodeth in general um and honestly like the way they land these things and especially in the way they allow these melodies to sprawl out and really develop over a long period of time is super impressive um, and there's always just this continuous flow of energy between the dual guitars, which I find really exciting and something very comparable to a lot of the, uh, let, let's call them long riff bands that we've <laughs> been covering on the show. You know, it's like, oh, this, this riff is, you know, 16 bars long. Oh, this yes. is definitely a long riff band. Yeah, so like Ild Scare, Into Oblivion... Um, yes, yeah. absolutely. All those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so You know, I, the I'm, tandem guitar thing, I think the tandem guitars here sound more like they do in Into Oblivion than in any of the Swedish bands specifically. Actually, like a really raw kind of punky version of that. I could see that. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's so go. uh, I'm going straight off the uh, the top of this mm-hmm. track, so let's, uh, let's listen to some cool Thai stuff. All right.
when this band is on, they're like as good as anything we've covered on this show. Yeah, no, they're um, they. That was just like yo, kid, stupid kid, like trying to clone Vothada in your room. Like these are the kind of elaborate flowing riffs you think you're writing, and you should just quit. Guitar. <laughs> like this band is flattening you, and they actually sounded rooted in tradition. Well, what's yeah. what's so impressive to me is that they're doing riffs that compelling, but with a. Uh, I, I've gone back and forth, but I think I really like the production job on this record. Ah, it has. Ah. What? No, oh, no. This it's well. This is this is a kind of production job I tend to like, and that sometimes I think you dislike. So it's it's cool that you like this one. Well, yeah, because because the it's it's a sort of flatter, drier production than I usually like. But what it lends itself to is providing this incredible clarity. This mm-hmm. like like lucid like clear water clarity to these riffs where it's the only thing you can focus on and you you concentrate on just how long and how elaborate these interlocking riffs are between the two guitars and then you get the additional voice between from the uh, either clean guitar or tie folk instrument listening dude, to it again i think it might be a tie fiddle uh, yeah dude yeah. when it drops at the end that it, like right they drop back into the main riff and the folk fiddle picks it up that's so heavy that I oh yeah mean, it's awesome like uh it's and it's de- the, the way they play when, when they're in these they i would say that this record has you know it has passages where it's a little bit slow and then it has these passages that are just like riff on riff on riff on riff like like just like and you can tell that the whole thing is composed like that whole section you sampled Mm -hmm. all those are not they weren't like knocked out independently of each other and pasted together like that is maybe they were written independently they're all independently sick riffs but you can tell that that is a structure that's like a Thai temple built out of riffs. You can even sort of see it rise toward the middle and fall on the other side. Well, it's got that it's got that vertical quality of mm-hmm. something like Into Oblivion, you know, yeah. of just you know this agglutinative process of all yeah. these riffs piling together to create mm-hmm. something really exciting and really dramatic, it, you know. The- it, in the way that, you know, old school second wave bands would do, but in a completely different melodic framework. Yeah, 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 yeah. It creates, like, you can, like, hear the root notes and the high notes rising as they go through, and then it falls off, and then they drop drops to the full grave. It's, it, yeah, it's so skillful. And now that we've heard it, I can hear more what you mean by the Swedish thing. Um, part of it is that um, I listen to more Dawn than Sacramentum these days. Um, mm-hmm. I've been meaning to go listen to Sacramentum again. I, uh... I just got annoyed by all the bands biting them, but none of those bands sound like Sacramentum. Sacramentum's way harder. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, so, yes, that's certainly a lot like the Sacramentum tandem guitar. Um, it's Dawn, I think. I mean, I know jack shit, but I think Dawn often has either more like both guitars playing interlocking meshing chords like two mm-hmm. rhythm riffs or or like one sails off on a lead but um but like sacramento either way i hear the connection um you sort of some of the powerful chord changes that like actual key change or serious chord change moments that happen are kind of like any of the big swedish bands um 
Oh, you know, also, Sacramento sounds... Oh, uh, no. Uh, no, never mind. Um, but, um... <laughs> but I think the most unique... Th- but I think I did hear it at first, because the entire melodic, and, melodic sensibility is so different. Um... And one thing that really strikes me, so like the pacing of the riffs is different from these kind of like, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the Swedish riffs will sort of um, have this furious storming attack or they'll sort of elegantly glide, you know. Um, this is just paced totally differently. So one thing that's interesting to me is that they'll, like into Oblivion, they'll draw out single chords for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Or single strings, as you're saying. Like, it's like two guitars playing in tandem, single strings. Um, and uh, they really force you to listen to the note for longer than our ears are used to. Yeah, and I think that has mm-hmm. to do with one of my primary theses about this record, which is that it structurally has much more to do with Thai folk music than a lot of folk black metal bands do with their constituent folk element. Um, I, I've done some traveling around Thailand and I've, I've heard a fair amount of Thai folk music and it has interesting qualities to it that are brought forth on this record that are not typically heavy metal mm-hmm. in the way that you would normally understand it. Mm-hmm. A lot of Thai folk music is extremely repetitive and kind of droney. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, this is very the, droney. It's very yeah. droney, and sometimes that's an asset, and sometimes it's a problem. Um, I, yeah. I would say, I would say they stick the landing more often than not. I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, about for where sure, it works and where it doesn't. But uh, Thai folk music melodically is very interesting because. Uh, it's sort of halfway between typical sort of Asiatic melody mm-hmm. and like sort of Raga style mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Indian subcontinent yeah, melody. Yeah, yeah. So you're getting a lot of these sort of big pentatonic style kicks, like mm-hmm. old school like Indo-European things. That's as well. well no, as, no, those aren't. Those are like uh, the pentatonic thing is more like Southeast Asian thing. Like there are different pentatonics. They're not all Indo-European. Yeah, but like it's, in terms of the Indian influence, oh, that's, that's what I mean. Oh, I would imagine that the Indian influence comes through more in the... Uh, there are a lot more half-steps in this than you'd usually get in, I think... I mean, I'm just thinking about certain kinds of... You know, when I think about Japanese and Chinese traditional music, all I got to go on is stereotypes there. So I'm thinking mm. about, like, Koto music or whatever, right? Where it is this kind of, like very like open pentatonic i'm thinking about like that i I hear the pentatonic stuff related to that whereas i feel like some of the more like tense intervals in this stuff or say like that sort of like yeah it was some of the use more use of half steps and more use of things that sound closer to western major minor okay I, i i can see that um, I, I, I'm thinking of, uh, as far as like Asian music goes, I, I'm thinking of a lot of, uh, traditional, like Japanese koan music, stuff mm-hmm. like that. A lot of stuff played on folk instruments. Japanese koan music sounds like 
fucking skepticism minus electronic <laughs> instruments. It's fucking mm-hmm. crazy, dude. You should check that it out. Cool. Dude. That sounds cool. That sounds sick. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> Dude, it's so fucking crazy and dramatic and open. It's wonderful. Um, but yeah, so, so Thai folk music finds itself in this very interesting intersection of these different regional sounds. Um, and as a result, you've got melodic ideas that are constantly flirting with things that you're kind of familiar with in in heavy metal because of the pentatonic reference points but then it, it it's employed so differently with such mm-hmm. different harmonic frameworks it ends up very distinct yeah it really isn't like um some bands even bands like obviously western bands do this more but sometimes even you know bands from uh east asia or southeast asia will like do a sort of a gestural this sounds kind of asian riff right because they're just really writing heavy metal riffs these were like really really are steeped in it right um mm-hmm. and uh yeah so uh let's do um serpents flames rage uh so this is uh, lots of serpents here um I assume oh you don't want to you don't want to go to the next part of oh uh, whoops i accidentally Sorry, bro. I accidentally skipped over my sample. Thanks for keeping me in mind. <laughs> um, so we're going to go to the uh, big climax part. Um, and you are going to hear, you know, usually that's something often that's the death metal guy. Today it's me. And I, I, I did it. <laughs> um, uh, I might do it again, TBH. Um, but um, we're going to go to this big climax part and you will hear some more great stuff with the loot. Um, and... Uh, it's a long sample, but that's, again, to help you see one of these big kind of architectural structures they're building with the riffs, where they all pile on.
quick correction before you uh, talk mm-hmm. about the sample. Uh, I, I was referring to Japanese koan music. It's actually Japanese koto music. Uh, koto refers to the actual oh. kind of. It's sort of a. That's what I was mentioning. Stuff. We were talking about oh, the same okay. thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was talking about the koto. Koan refers to, you know, sort of Zen phrases and stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. it's been a while since I thought about it. But I looked it up to clarify because I thought I had it wrong. Yeah, but I, I, well, I appreciated, and I really know jack shit about Kodo music. I, you've probably listened to it more than I have. I've, you know, for me, it's like okay, the thing they're playing in the back of the background at the beginning of Seven Samurai or whatever, right? It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's exactly um, right. Yeah, cool. Um, yes, no, that that shit is cool. So, okay, how, you know what's crazy, dude, is like how much that big drop at the end plays into classic ideas of sort of like stadium size kind of like stadium size big heavy metal or just mm-hmm. like or even just of massive pop hook um mm-hmm. and how completely authentic and heavy it sounds still you know they keep it rooted in that droning sound they have that awesome crisp folk picking um and it's just done so skillfully. Coming off the end of this, these riffs, elaborate riffs that are just like epitome of high-end black, highbrow black metal. And then you just drop to this thing that has, and that work on delayed gratification, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to draw this riff out forever. We're going to modulate up. We're going to, um, you know, uh, draw out this long melodic flourish, right? This, this sort of pacing-dependent stuff. And then just, bam, like, fast all the fast gut level riffs like what you'd like a riff like in the tradition of slayer or in the tradition (laughs) of the sort of the riffy really catchy stuff on following the voice of blood or whatever that shit is all played with the folk instrumentation well yeah it's like when the fiddle drops in it's like that's actually the mosh part yeah exactly you you could go crazy to that um like you i mean also you could play that with palm mutes yeah, yeah, you could. You, you could play it a lot of different ways, but playing it, I, I I think I agree with you. I think you're right. It probably is a traditional folk instrument just because the slides are too clean. They're not fretted, you know, and certain mm. aspects of the bends are not the things you would hear on a clean guitar. Oh, um, interesting. If they, if they managed to pull it off on a clean guitar, that would be fucking incredible. It would have to be like a fretless guitar or something. But, uh, yeah, no, I, it, you're, you're correct. It's like, this is like... This could be played at Vakken, you know. Uh, it would be unfortunate because most of the people in the audience wouldn't get the significance of it. But you know, like it definitely has that that pure heavy metal kick to it that mm-hmm. is just so immediately engrossing. You know, the other cool thing, right, is uh, although they're skilled in doing this sort of gut level thing, it's just like take the moment before that right where you've got the big moment with all those riffs right that's usually supposed to be like the core you know you in a a conventional in a more these really aren't remotely structured like poppy or conventional black metal songs and Mm -hmm. in a conventional black metal song even one that's not that poppy those would function sort of like a chorus or something not remotely here (laughs) because they stretch it out so long right that's like fucking you know 64 bars Right. That's like, yeah, two, that's like two minutes. That's like a uh, it's a full sort of um, section or like space in the song. And 
they just sustain this level of one thing to the next intensity that you usually only get in courses for, for that long. Well, another thing that's interesting, especially with your part, well, one thing that was funny is, like, the first minute is just, like, the first minute of my sample. You know, it's just them bringing this entire sequence back. Oh, that's but true. Some, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm but something I, I find, that. Yeah, something I find interesting across this whole record is uh, when these big drops come in, they're usually... They don't function like traditional big metal moments in that... Usually, these big drop moments on this record are much more relaxed. You know, the uh, yeah. the yeah, yeah, you know yeah. the tie fiddle comes in, and there's a release of tension, but not in the way that you would expect from a breakdown in a, a metal or hardcore song. It is truly sort of relaxing. It's a it's a true release of energy. It's still chill moshable mosh. in a way. Yeah, it's a chill mosh. <laughs> exactly. It's a which is a, something I've never really heard before in I extreme mean, it, music, honestly, which is awesome. Do you, I mean this is you'll know more about this than me, but there are parts right where sort of like um uh hip hop producers will clip bits of uh Asian music and you know, I mean, probably some original folk music, probably some stuff from, you know, kung fu movies. They'll clip it and, uh, you know, they'll sample it and often use that to make, like, um, I don't know, I'm just remembering, I, I, I don't really listen to hip-hop anymore, but I remember when I used to smoke more weed, right? You know, <laughs> to, you know, there'd be, like, certain Lil Wayne songs or, like, certain uh, really early kind of trap-type songs where just, like, the hook will be some sort of... Uh, echoing kind of uh, Asian folk melody, and I always really liked those. Even Rough Riders Anthem is kind of like that. <laughs> um, and, and like, it's massively heavy, just not in a metal way. And this, that's heavy more like, this is heavy more like that. I can see that. The other yeah, cool thing a... they do with that one riff also is that, again, that it's like, then you get to that big folk riff and you're like, oh, this is the chorus. And then they repeat it for like two minutes. Yeah, it's a, it, it's not a chorus. It's it's like it is. This is <laughs> it's the uh, it literally is structured more like Southeast Asian folk music. It, it, it's not. It doesn't have the same structural conceits you expect from metal. And Southeast Asian folk music and like a ten minute long Norwegian black metal song. Not even the sweetest stuff because the sweetest stuff isn't as repetitive. But it's like, okay, here's the last riff on the Dark Throne song. I hope you like this riff. Enjoy the next three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like uh, on the ten minute Dark Throne song, there is also not a peak in the way exactly. that you would expect. Exactly from heavy metal. Yes, this is very demanding. This is man, yeah. This does some very heavy metal things, but it really speaks to all that is most inaccessibly black metal about the genre, which is pretty cool, both in terms of, like, the sense of ancient folk quality, the sense of uh, kind of difficult riffing, difficult structure. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to appreciate here. So, Definitely. what do you think are some of the, you know, limitations? Well, I feel like, so the repetition, I've gone back and forth on it. I've listened mm -hmm. to this record a few times now, and... <clears throat> There's sections where the extreme sort of repetitive droning nature of the music doesn't work as well because I, I the centerpiece of this album 
are those climactic moments where the tie fiddle comes in. Like, that's... I, I think it's hard to argue that everything is not structurally reaching towards those moments. And sometimes there are very drawn-out extended periods where that doesn't hit, where it's just, you know, tension-building, structural stuff, where I can get lost in that a little bit. And I base completely agree, yeah. Yeah, um, and I would say that's especially an issue, because one thing is... All of our samples are off the last three songs. Mm -hmm. I think that's especially an issue on the first two. Because you've got two tracks, an interlude track, and then the final three. And I feel like after the interlude, this album takes off. Yeah, so just make the intro. We we both think this would be stronger as a substantial EP, right? I mean, it would still basically be a full length. Actually, it would be a full length, by my understanding. And if you you took the interlude and just said, this is our long Bathory-style intro, there's a really respectable full length. That's like 40 minutes. Yeah, and it's like, I I can't even tell you what exactly is different about the first two tracks, but they're just not as strong as the rest of the album. I've thought about this, so here's a thought. It's like, yeah, how, how would I articulate this? It's like, um... Yeah, the big folk drops, great. The big sort of riff palace moments, great. When they're doing something that's more like a verse riff or a sort of a kill riff, sort of like basic driving riff in a black metal song, like, you know, your your thrash beat song and the thrash song, whatever. When they're doing these sorts of uh, simpler, supposed to be like more aggressive riffs, um, I think that's where it flags. And the first couple tracks have a lot of that. And usually what it is is these same very elongated melodies, but just so playing these very long riffs is just like four notes in them. And you Mm -hmm. don't really get the kind of uh, flourishing quality or the tension release quality or the stacking quality or the little more motion in the riffs that you get, a little more of a shape to them that you get in these big climax parts. Um, and so when it's just on these kind of like level riffs, I guess I'm theoretically commit. I, I mean, I like that level of minimalism, but there's something about the elongated, there's something kind of anti-syncopated about the rhythms here. Is that, does that make sense? They're very, um, I think they're, uh, there's sort of deliberately minimal rhythm well, work on the drumming. You, well, yeah, so I'm like, trying to think about this, like, in, but in terms of the light, I'm thinking about, like, how long the guitar riffs on the middle are on the, on those tracks. There's something where the very long notes um, are not dark thrown. Specific, I mean, I guess, I think the tracks, things that are relevant to this, I think, are those two tracks I love off the back of Funeral Mode. Um, like, yeah. Crossing a Triangle of Flame or whatever, Infernal Flame, and uh, in a, in a, Skogan's Fob. On those, like, You'll have these like three chord riffs that are really long, but there's this discharge syncopation and where they change the, you know, there's also Fenris being a horse on drums, but there's this sort of like uh, classic thrashy syncopation and the way that they change the chords that gives mm-hmm. them a very driving quality. Whereas I feel like the sort of stuff that on here that we expect to be driving isn't. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of forward push. Like, those simpler riffs should be the place where it's going. The less vertical parts should be the parts where it's fo- floor, you know, uh, pedal to the metal, right? Vroom. Yeah. Like, horizontal motion. Fast. Run. Um, or, you know, chariot. Or whatever. Uh, <laughs> and um, 
uh, or, you know, riverboat fast. Um, and uh, they're not. And I think that might be a... They're pretty in control of what they're doing. So clearly that just relates to the aesthetic here, but I'll just register that I don't get it. And I think... Yeah. I think if there's anything, like, there's something about the drumming as falling. As you say, it's very restricted. And when I hear those long, drawn-out riffs, I can't help but hearing the blasts falling behind the guitar. Um, And I don't know if that's just me, and it's my problem. Um, But I can also think that there are records where I, that, ha- that have that sound. It's kind of like raw highly spaced out blasting where it sounds locked in anyway Mm -hmm. or it just deliberately sounds chaotic and um there's the blasts are falling in very regular places and the guitar are but there's something the guitar is but there's something about the way they're working together on these very long drawn out simple verse riff parts where they're just um they're not really you know they don't sound out of time but they're not syncing up in the way that makes it drive I got you. I can see that. Well, I I, yeah. I think this is music that is not based off of traditional drive in no. terms of extreme metal in general. I, I get that. So I'm wondering how much of it is just like we have to suspend our habituation to metal things. And I think to some degree that's part of it. But there is the same stately not driving quality on the choruses but those actually have, those places where you expect more sort of verticality, those places actually have the more momentum. And I feel like the drumming and guitar, the way the drum and guitars are working, like, it doesn't change. They don't start playing in a different kind of, you know, this is all pretty continuous trem stuff. There's no, like, fundamental change in what they're doing. It's uh, just that they, with those kinds of riffs, it works better. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Um... Anyway. That's my, that's our, those are our very technical things. But I think we both agree that on the back, with the, the intro and on the back end, this is pretty awesome. Oh yeah, this is, this yeah. is pretty wonderful. So yeah. let's go over to uh, your next sample. So this is Serpent's Flames Rage. Lots of serpents here, obviously. Um, if you don't know what a naga is, go play Heroes of Might and Magic again. Um, uh, <laughs> and we will go to, um, uh, yeah, so this is, this is another big moment, and you'll be able to sort of hear the structural similarity. Um, uh, and here's just, yeah, I mean, here's just another place where they do the cool thing. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I love yeah. the cool thing. Let's do yes. it. Yes. All right.
Oh shit, I just kept rolling on that. Oh yeah, it's awesome. It's like like th- these guys have very smartly and luckily arrived at a certain melodic technique that's so unfamiliar to us. Mm-hmm. There can be another 20 albums in this vein before we get tired of this. That's a good point, buddy. Yes, this band, the, you know, the thing I was complaining about last week, and not really complaining, but, you know, sort of nitpicking about with passism or whatever that we were debating, right? This band... This band has their own harmonic vocabulary, right? Yes. And not just to a degree where they've added their own little spin on something, but to a degree where they have their own universe, right? Like it's in extreme, the same yeah, way that we're, in the it's same way that unlocking a whole new world for black metal to explore. It really is, dude. Because like if you think about that, and we've heard riffs like this. I mean, there are some riffs that sound kind of. Like really sick, sort of pentatonic-y, full, authentic folk riffing on like a Surrender of Divinity record or something, but it's like in between the like 200 BPM Marduk blasts, um, mm-hmm. which I mean it has that has its own charm, right? But it's not this sort of like really deep exploration of these ideas um, or like full development of it. And yeah, yeah, this sounds this sounds very like Thai black metal, or you know. You know, Thai, this is, okay, between this and the bands we've heard from Vietnam, too, we're going to get the uh, Sweden and Norway of a new sound. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to that. I I think there's a lot of really cool shit happening mm-hmm. in Southeast Asia right now. Um, I mean, we've been covering that not just in black metal, but in other styles. Yeah, this band, they, they're similar feels. You identified it really well, that sort of um, aquatic kind of sound. Sounds kind of, um, at times seems to embrace a feminine mood more than normal black metal. Yeah, uh, we talked about that with the, the Vietnamese bands. We mm-hmm. featured like Vong and Elcross. Sense of, um, yeah, the, like a sort of a tactile quality to it often. Like, uh, and you, you, you've described them as sort of like darkly dreamy. Mm-hmm. Very dreamy. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's, it's very different while remaining very faithfully black metal. And so those all have the mood um yeah vong there's um you know yeah there's there's a number of them there's um you know compry has some of this um but this band has the harmonic vocabulary like this is like um i don't i don't know what strict norse analogies to draw here but in terms of like not depending on thrash and death metal anymore and like uh having a sort of locally like culture distinct culturally rooted melody like this is this is the moment you know this is like um you know those songs off death those songs off of live in leipzig or whatever right where it's like oh now they sound norwegian hey all this is brandon from cromlech and you're listening to terminus all right we're back with our final record of the night and we are staying as we uh, we like to do every few episodes in the Global South. Uh, although, technically, not the Global South from Narboleth, since they are originally from Cuba in the Northern Hemisphere. But, uh, yeah, you know what I mean. So <laughs> is, is Thailand in the Southern Hemisphere? Shit, now i got to look it up. I think, I think maybe by Global South you just mean places where it's even hotter than where you live. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. In essence, yes. I live in the American South, but perhaps not the global South. And uh, it looks like, uh, yeah, Thailand might be below the equator. I don't know. I'm looking at a weird map. Anyway, so Narbaleth, uh, originally from Cuba, now in Spain with Summa Cum Nox Arcana. Uh, this is their, uh, let's see, fifth full-length record. Whoa. And I says... As I say at the top of the show, I saw uh, I saw Narbaleth. My first exposure to them was at Under the Black Sun, probably 2014, uh, uh, where they were playing, as far as I understand, one of their first shows outside of Cuba. Um, and now it's interesting to see that they're on Fulter Records, who are uh, possibly the main people behind Under the Black Sun, or at least a major sponsor, because there's a ton of Folter Records bands on uh, that festival. No, it's organized year. by the dude from Folter. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, York, I, I figured I think, as yeah. much. I just didn't want to no, say it outright. Great festival, great festival, great label. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, like, Folter is like one of those things where it's like, what kind of labels do we want to support? Well, that kind. No, Falter, absolutely. Uh, as far as straight-up, well-rounded black metal labels go, there's mm. very few in competition with them these days. Yeah. Um, so Narboleth, when I saw them originally, were playing a, uh, a a very sort of second-wave tribute style with uh, some sort of idiosyncratic, melodic ideas tucked in. Um, mm. And, you know, I, I enjoyed them when I saw them. They were very kind on stage, very excited and very nervous. Um, and I was like, what the hell? They've got a new record coming out. Let's let's see what happened. And uh, I was very pleasantly surprised by this record. Uh, this shows a, a ton of development uh, from the early days where I first saw them. And uh, I, it makes me want to investigate the last couple records to see where that switch kind of happened and they really found their own style. Yeah, I'm sure I checked this band out before because it's probably like Falter, like, hey, really good black metal band from Cuba. And I, I think in the past I clicked on it, it was just like, oh, sounds kind of like Sargeist and just, you know, clicked off. Um, this is, I could have been right or wrong about that. Right, you know, like, you know. <laughs> because you it does sound kind of like Sargeist. I was going to say, you know, yeah, and in terms of, like, some sounding a bit, this doesn't sound that Finnish, but in terms of, like, this is a place where I'm going to say, in terms of the Finnish thing it sounds like, it does sound like Sargeist more than Satanic Warmaster. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. But, <laughs> but it sounds like time... people who hear Sargeist as a kind of second wave black metal band, like that Mexican band you played us a while ago that was related to Tiradero. Or maybe it wasn't related to Tiradero. Maybe it was just another Mexican band. Um, oh, shit, yeah. Uh, they were playing this sargeist stuff, but it just didn't sound like, quote-unquote, melodic black metal or Finnish worship. It was like, a, yeah, it was like spectral something. But um, yeah, but yeah, look back, but, whatever. Uh, so, point being, if you like that sort of thing, you'll probably like this. But this is a really different take on it with a lot of different influences. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you wrote something in the notes that I thought was a pretty good description, which was something to the effect of, you know, guys who are dedicated, kind of traditional black metal dudes keeping up with the times, learning some lessons from newer styles, but not 
compromising the nature of the band for it. Yeah, this is written with a uh, a deep sense of the history of the genre. Um, and uh, yeah, a bunch of things that are no longer seen as... They are not um, doing the thing that often leads to, at best, an interesting genre exercise, which is like, take a modern... Take a relatively modern scene and sort of like do your worship project, right? This is far from that or or just the whole idea that for a lot of bands black metal history like even if they have a deeper cut sense of it starts in like 2000 right um mm-hmm. this is uh they have that complete sense of the history um overall this is written like older stuff and i would say what it really reminds me of is um right around maybe a time when you weren't paying so much attention to black metal although i think right around when you're into the black sun um, this is kind of like what the stuff that was really promising then sounded like. Um, hmm, okay. I've been thinking lately about like certain, so like the sound now, right, is very melodic, very epic, even when it's not pagan black metal or solar black metal, even when it's satanic, it's very melodic, very epic. Um, and the bands that foreshadowed that, obviously the biggest one was Migla, right, who were hmm. at that festival. Um, yeah. And um, uh, one of the best sets I have ever seen in my yes. life. It was incredible. It was, <laughs> they played all of With Hearts Toward None. <laughs> you like that? You like that set so much that I could probably tell someone else your story about that. But I mean, it, <laughs> I, I mean it as a compliment. Um, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, I think you said something like, "I swear, I saw someone's head fly off in the pit." <laughs> you know? Dude, I was. We were in the forest outside Berlin, yeah. and the stars were so clear out, and the everyone was just chilling until "With Hearts Toward None Seven came on, the final track off the album, the final track mm-hmm. in the set. And yes, when the blast beat kicked in, I believe I saw a man become decapitated <laughs> during that. <laughs> that was his. Uh... So anyway, um, but back in the day, there were these other bands like, I mean, Arcanum was still super popular then, and now they've been forgotten about. We were just talking about them with Bullgod. Um, yeah, yeah, great yeah. band. Yeah, he said he really likes Arcanum, and I was like, shit. And I think if anything, I need to give the, I've, I've been blown hot and cold on them over the years. Uh, but, um, but Arcanum, right, was very epic very melodic very simple and droning in ways that i appreciate um really anticipates a lot of things that became popular now right but sounds nothing like them and sounds sort of like very aggressive and sort of um deliberately retarded in the way that like Mm -hmm. a bunch of the 90s stuff did right Uh, another good example is uvia uh, l-l-u-v-i-a who were a um Mexican originally and that was originally a one-man project uh, but um uh, very sort of monolithic sounding melodic black metal that before that was a thing sounds much darker than a contemporary equivalent something else we heard recently reminded me of it maybe the oriflam I can't remember mm-hmm. um but like there were this series of bands that were sort of pushing towards the thing that is the norm now. And they were all very popular at the time and have kind of been forgotten and in many ways are more interesting and substantial than the things that have replaced them. Yeah, I can see that. And I, I can see how Narboleth would slot into that, being in this very kind of liminal space between 
more traditional kind of aggressive styles of black metal and the more melodic, vast stuff that's become overwhelmingly popular now. Mm-hmm. But I think in addition to that, there is a, a distinctive quality to this music that's kind of drawn me in more than I would expect. And it's something that I'm associating now with a lot of the uh, sort of... Uh, either South American or Spanish language bands that we've been covering, which Mm -hmm. is this sort of dreamy, oniric, uh, nocturnal quality, but not just nocturnal in the sense of darkness in the night, but specifically Mm -hmm. centered sort of around the moon. Mm. Sort of like the moon, the tides, a, a sort of magical, natural quality, yet not really pagan in the way we think of European black metal, for the most part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about sort of like chthonic, you know, the Aztec gods of the cenotes, uh, you know, and like the, 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 the sort of cisterns under the ground and shit. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, obviously, I would draw a comparison from this, uh, although melodically they're very different, to a band like Ancient Spheres, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who is a, a band that I keep coming back to on this show, and it's like, I'm wondering if they're going to be a dark horse for year-end. Yeah, such do you a cool listen record. to that on the reg? I always forget about it, but it's so cool, and now that it's summer, I should be jamming that. I should also be jamming the Kalakuma. Um, yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been, lis- I've listened to it a few times since we covered them, and, uh, yeah, it's like definitely as we get towards the heat of summer, it's uh, that becomes pretty cool music. Those hot summer nights, listen to that, walk mm. around, that's pretty tight. But uh, let me uh, let me play a quick sample so people know mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's listen to a track called "A Throne Over the Seven Stars." Um, and here's one of the subtle things that's very cool about this band that I I'm betting you probably appreciate. Which is that you've talked on this show about not liking black metal riffs that are what you call grid written. You know, a series of eighth notes that are like a scale run, very Sargai style. Well, one thing you can yeah. say about Narbaleth yeah, is that Yeah, there's one they... band that's allowed to do that, which is Megla. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have to be better at melody writing than anyone in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the thing with Narbaleth is that uh, you can definitely say none of these songs are grid-written. Because all mm-hmm. of these riffs tend to have a, a distinct rhythmic character that is uh, very unique to them. And you're going to hear some of that on this sample. So let's all try right, out cool. a throne over seven stars. Right, cool.
Wilkins likes it. <laughs> Wilkins does like it. That is he, one of my very noisy kitty cats in the background. He can hear the moon and he's meowing at it. Um, yes, he is. Well, he's black and white, so, you know, he's channeling the nocturnal essence. He's a tuxedo <laughs> kitty. Um, so one thing that I really like, uh, I forgot to write in the notes, is that uh, something these guys do a lot, which I've noticed is a feature of a lot of the Spanish bands that we've covered, mm-hmm. is... Um, sections uh long sections of four four based riffs with a long kind of extended six four fill or a two bar fill behind them where um, where was that because that makes sense there were some like yeah some like there's rhythms yeah, there's, that were made yeah, for the riff yeah there's two riffs in this section uh in the sample uh where they're doing that where they have an extended kind of bar or two of fill you know, kind of augmenting the riff at the end after this extended sequence, which is which is cool. It, you know, it's it's not set around uh, a constant sort of four four cyclic rhythm. You know, there's mm-hmm. a little bit more energy, a little bit more dynamic behind it. Dude, yeah. So when I saw that note, this is a record that just keeps getting better. I mean, I think this is a common theme for the records tonight. Obviously, you know, the the punk metal one is a little different from your your, your sort of flavor but for me at least over the over the course of this episode just each one of these i like better the more i hear it oh no um, i agree yeah yeah, yeah. They're, they're all uh like you know this narvala thing is like it's in it, you know it's, it's got a sort of deceptive and enticing quality to it it's like you know yeah that's related to the lunar quality i mean there, there's like because each time you hear it, you just hear more shit. So when I saw your note, for instance, the first time I heard this record wasn't that. I was like, yeah, this is a little different than I expected. This is solid, right? Yeah, yeah. Not mm-hmm. really my thing, but solid. It's like, oh, melodic black metal. Then I listened to a second time and a third time, right? You know, like when I had some free time in which I didn't even have to listen to anything for Terminus, I listened to this again. Um, and uh, this part, yeah, when I saw your note, that helped like help me latch in on some of the special parts because that's right. I think I completely agree. That's the, the rhythms, each of these really have distinct melodic shapes, and some of these are very elaborate. That sort of stately riff before the like the, the last one is sophisticated. You know, you get your da 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 da. If this was a grid written sort of cookie cutter, crank them out. Uh, black metal riff you just get the second a b variation on that there's your riff um yeah you know um instead it climbs the second time and that little drop turns it around into like the whole you get to the whole point of the riff right there right it just sort of uh the rhythmic form changes right there halfway through the riff um in and the one before it was just like I almost felt like the heaviest riff in that sequence. There was a cool storming one at the beginning, also great, elaborate melody, but like the the stately riff in the middle with just these sort of uh, kind of major chords in it, just very solemn, has this sort of sweeping quality, and like because um, contract sponsored by and contractually obligated to mention Dawn on every show, um, <laughs> that reminds me of some of the more. I wouldn't say this record sounds like them particularly, but some of these more stately parts have a certain kind of sweeping majesty, deliberate pacing, and like way more chords in them than you'd expect in a yeah. way that's like Slaughter Sun 
Yeah. Well, I think mm-hmm. I I think a lot of the dynamics on this record are actually coming from the drum performance, which is pretty understated for the most part. But it's it's minimal, but it's intensely musical. Like the way the drummer knows how to shift beats, especially in those extended fill sections, and how mm-hmm. to bridge ideas from riff to riff you know, in a a more sophisticated way than simply stopping and starting again. You know, small syncopation ideas, none of it stands out very dramatically, but on a close listen, you start to realize, oh shit, this guy is a wonderfully musical drummer who really knows how to empower these riffs in a really Mm -hmm, dramatic mm -hmm. way. Yeah, dude. Um... Yeah, man. Uh, that is sick. Uh, you got anything more about that? Nah, man. Let's do yeah. some moon songs. Oh, moon songs. All right. So, yeah, like you said, very lunar. Um, moon of a Thousand Shapes. Uh, it's about the moon. Um, this is a short song where a lot happens. Um, this is one of the shorter songs on the record. Um, and although the general mood here is, as you say, not aggressive, it's kind of stately, maybe lyrical, like kind of romantic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little like, um, yeah, it's a little like that Flamen record we listened to the other year that on the ter- proto terminus episode that yeah. has, not been, has not been released, but um, has this kind of moonstruck in love quality to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of rapturous, you know, sort of like you're, you've been swept away by a summer night with a lot of fragrance on the air, right? Um, yeah. A lot of the record is like this. However, you do get some parts that go for storming old school black metal. This has that. Um, and then, you know, later in the song, it opens out on another one of these wonderful, whimsical sections. And then it'll lock in back to the main riff. But let's just go to the, let's go to the fast part, because we like the fast part. <laughs> All let's right. do it.
dude, is this is this kind of a great record? <laughs> yeah, I think this is your end material. Like, possibly. Like, listening to this like, again, this is like... Fuck, dude. This is like really sophisticated like way more you need a few listens to really get this. it's really sophisticated whilst it all remains in the format of like my god maybe it is as sophisticated as a 90s swedish record um but it definitely feels it feels more like on the sort of um it feels like the most sophisticated possible for a sort of underground kind of like a straight ahead underground black metal band but it's possible that this is so batting at the top of its league that it's like low-key in the next league um you know what i mean like this is this is certainly better than many 90s swedish bands with fancier guitar playing yeah it's and I think it really is just due to how sophisticated the arrangements are. The, the, and, the, yeah, the writing is... I mean, the riffs are fantastic, but what were you going to say about the arrangements? Um, oh, well, now, specifically, I'm going back to those uh, those augmented extra-long riffs. Mm-hmm, like, I was mm-hmm. counting one off. I was pointing one out, one of those mm-hmm, things yeah, 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 during yeah. the sample. Um, and I'm starting to realize, wow, like, half the riffs on this album are like that. I can't get the, I can't even hum the interval right because there's actually such subtle harmonic stuff happening from riff to riff and within each riff. Yeah, and then they're always so you you they'll start with a riff that but, is like a, an extremely like excellent A level melodic black metal riff, but then they'll add the augment of a bar or two afterwards mm-hmm. which you know kind of disrupts the rhythmic flow of the music but not in a jarring way and I'm starting to pick up on more intricacies in the drumming here like at the very beginning of the sample there's a riff that's played only two times the Mm -hmm. intro riff but there's a a fascinating sort of beat inversion thing the drummer does to bridge those two repetitions together you know switching the snare from the upbeat onto the downbeat again. Mm. And these are just like tiny things that don't matter much when you just listen to this record once. But as you listen to it more, you start to realize, holy shit, these guys really, really have a wonderful grasp of this stuff. Yeah, dude. I mean, even yeah, even when they're not doing the and extra bars at the end, they're just the way these riffs if like have just contour and narrative even within a single riff is really impressive um yeah there was you know even when you were saying the one where they add the extra bar on the end on that the da 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 you know like that's just a rhythm right that's a variation on a riff that they play straighter no augment at the end before right and um like so you get variations even when they repeat the riff um the thing they do at the end the head fake there is hilarious right you think you think they're sort of like opening out into a sort of well eventually it does end on a tranquil part but you think okay we're gonna go into one of those stately mid-tempo parts again right and this just drop um you know da, 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 and you get your senior volant riff for like there, um there's a lot of parts on this record where they, they fake a mm-hmm. delicate part 
and then a blast drops yeah. in out of yeah, fucking well, so nowhere. You get like <laughs> the you get the literal like four chords on this record that sound like modern melodic black metal is supposed to sound. <laughs> and of course they like knock it out of the park right there and they finish the riff with this interesting modulation that makes it sound 90s again or like early 2000s um yeah, or, no, just, it's, or just like them because they really it doesn't sound dated at all basically they're just yes they are contemporaneously engaging with and wiping the floor with the whippersnappers <laughs> no that's true it's, it's like yeah. a you know, the actually, what I would compare this to, um, very different melodically, but as far as the fusion of sort of traditional mm-hmm. second wave ideas and modern melodic black metal ideas, I would compare it to uh, Beyond the Moon, the Stars, that you brought onto the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, a same sort of idea of guys who are dedicated to the old school but are keeping up with the times and taking the ideas they can use and infusing their style with it yeah that's a good way of putting it and also kind of yeah mood similarities uh you know like um oh also i would say the main riff there in terms of like the more aggressive riff the one that they vary in the interesting way that sounds like arcanum you hear like there's a drone yes there's like the bass or another guitar is droning the root note and you get that kind of um strained thing where you you get that cool dissonance and tension where he's like using certain aspects that you might get in a more eastern scale but it doesn't sound eastern at all Mm -hmm. um you know like uh you know yeah that is that is the sort of um that's one of the only riffs on this record that has a sort of like monolithic kind of ancient quality to it right yeah definitely Mm -hmm. yeah um all right so uh towards the most primitive matter of our nature. I actually really like these song titles. I do, I do too, dude. They, like, I, I don't know how these guys managed to make it very black metal and extremely chill at the same time. But. That, that, that's what I was going to say about the overall impression, is that when you listen to the first time, it really just flows by in the way that a lot of modern stuff does, and mm-hmm. or a lot of more trendy stuff. And that stuff just flows by because it sucks. And you'll hear me like complaining about things on the show sounding too smooth or whatever Mm. and it's a hard thing to define partly it's those grid written riffs partly it's production and in harmonies and production stuff that just it's so you know flowing is good but there's some sort of like sort of just smoothness that just goes by you and this has the thing that's good about that has the sort of sensuous quality about it it has the sort of easy to listen to in a good way quality about that mm-hmm. but then just every time you look closer there's more there and it's like if you listen to the guitar the guitars don't sound pejoratively smooth at all and the tone is actually pretty rough like it's like burly low-end tone which is another arcanum thing um yeah yeah no i i like how well-rounded the production on this is you know it's it's got the appropriate grit for underground black metal yeah. but it's not uh it's not you know it's not so raw that you can't appreciate the sort of softer tones within it. Yeah, and like each riff, you know, like two-thirds of the riffs are, you know, there's some incredibly lush parts, and other than that, like most of the riffs are either gritty or have parts of them that are gritty. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like it's, yeah, this is just, this is really firing on all fronts. It, Man, yeah, this is cool, dude. <laughs> all right, so... 
like I was saying, uh, towards the most primitive matter of our nature. Um, this is just really taking off when it comes to that kind of like languid, dreamlike Spanish atmosphere right, that I was talking nice. about. This is let's let's go for a walk under the moon, man. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, bro. <laughs> Shit, I over-listened again. This is a great record. This, this is, is just so fucking good. Holy shit, dude. The baseline riff here is A-level, right? Yeah. And the number of A-plus riffs on this is, like, shocking. Yes. <laughs> you know, you know, it's just, you know, and they all sound like regular rhythm guitar-based black metal riffs. There's absolutely no flashy lead stuff here. There's there's no flashy lead stuff. There's no sort of... They don't mark off. They don't generally mark things off as this is the big riff, with one exception. Um, <laughs> uh, there's no gesture towards pop hook um, or towards sort of flamboyant... Uh, certain kinds of flamboyant riffery you'd get from like some of the dark metal bands or whatever, right? It, this is just like... It sounds like it's all down the line, and the line is just incredible, right? Yeah, it's um, it's got as far as organic riff arrangement goes. This has got to be towards the top of the heap for the year. Like, yeah. you, know, you know, I mean, you always talk about the idea of every riff being essential to yes. the one before it unnaturally and mm -hmm. there's very few records that embody that better than this every riff is a natural conclusion of the one before it gotta agree man yeah um yeah like i mean that 
before the sort of slowdown, right, we were both just floored by that you know, sort of starts off with a rhythm. It could almost be like a heathen BM thing, right? You almost get that mm-hmm. in a Graveland tune. And then that's just the seed melody. That's like they do a classical thing. That's the that's the springboard motif. And then they just take that rhythm and patiently walk it through. No hurried sort of triplet picking. They just follow that through like a fucking 24-note riff. I don't know. Yeah, um, and I was I was telling you, like, that is how Don writes riffs on Slaughter Son. That could be off, like, Ride the Wings of Pestilence or something. Um, or, I mean, not off it, but it's like it. So, I mean, I'm actually thinking that probably is... I think these guys just... You said this in the notes. You're just like, if you ask these guys what kind of genre, black metal they play, they just say, uh, the good kind. Yeah, yeah, because it's not... So, you can't tie this to a particular regional scene or, you know, a greater style. It's extremely full spectrum in a way yeah. it, i mean it, it sounds like they like sweden and norway a lot and like they are spanish and then there's some responsiveness to the newer stuff in between and by spanish yeah. i mean you know like you know yeah in the general sense yes yeah it's it's so fucking good <laughs> yeah man I, like it could just be because we're both working a lot this week and it's a weeknight and it's late, but um, I feel like I'm tripping. <laughs> no, no, I get, I get the vibe. You know, it's, well, it, it has this very, you know, it, like I, I've said this, you know, like with ancient spheres and stuff, it's like this almost sensual kind of, you know, wonderfully organic, you know, uh, nightside stroll atmosphere. I'm going to try, try playing this for a lady. Come in, you should uh, play this for a lady. There you yeah. go. <laughs> um, it's uh, if a girl if a girl doesn't fuck you when you play Narboleth, she's not your girl. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, I was gonna play this big climax part off the F- end of the record from "Hear the Pale Moon Speak the Arcane Secrets," but um, let's leave something for the. Uh, Leave something for people to discover. Just incredible. Um, yeah. However, I do want to play one more riff, and this is sort of my, uh, you know, uh, when I started this record, this record starts with a huge riff. And when I started it, I was like, oh no, is this a big riff record? Like, <laughs> at this point, I'm like, at this point, we're in such an elaborate, flowery style that you can be a bad band that still writes big riffs. And like, you know, they're just like bands oriented toward delivering big riffs. And it's like, here it comes, the big riff. All right. Oh, my God. Um, You know, um, and, you know, whether it's, you know, yeah, is this kind of inadvertent poppiness to it. And, you know, you can write, yeah, you can even write a good big riff and it will still suck. And like, I thought this was going to be one of those records that's like a big riff delivery system. Mm-hmm. They do it once on the record. It's the first riff, and they never do it again. <laughs> Which I have <laughs> incredible respect for. And damn if the first one isn't good. Like it got stuck in my head. So like this is like like this is the kind exactly the kind of riff that sort of sounds French, sort of sounds Finnish. Everyone's playing them now. I'm sort of at this point committed to being grumpy about all of them. <laughs> um, and I hear this, and I was like walking around outside last night, like hell yeah. 
Um, so let's just listen to the beginning of the record. Um, we're going to go to uh, um, Knox Arcana, baby. <laughs> If you're going to do the big riff delivery system thing, make it some big fucking riffs, I guess. Oh my god, man. That is just like so exciting. You know, <laughs> it's wonderful. Be- between this and the Lotus of Darkness, two records tonight have made me want to do the uh, Graveland Wolf Howl. Um, <laughs> uh, and I can't do that because I live in an apartment complex. Uh, <laughs> um, but... um. I don't think actually Graveland even does that. It's just bands that like Graveland do it. <laughs> um, but, um, uh, but like, God, I mean, yeah, what is there to say about, I guess, you know, as you would say, uh, I like the riff. 